Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. And today we have with us a special guest. Hi, uh, I'm Alexander Wheels. Hello, Alexander. We are going to be talking to Alexander today because he piqued my interest with uh, something that I posted on Facebook, and I really wanted to get him in here and pick his brain on it. But before we get into that, we should... Well, even actually before we do the Less Wrong post, we should give a quick intro to Alexander in case people did not hear the last episode that he was on. Alexander Wales, uh, you are very well known for having written The Metropolitan Man, a bunch of other Rationalist fanfics, and who is currently writing the very popular Worth the Candle um, original fiction. Yep, uh, that's pretty much it. I uh, uh, live in Minnesota, um, stay-at-home dad. I was a uh, software engineer for seven years or so before i did that kind of kind of burnt out on programming for a while but that's that's as much of my life story as <laughs> as you probably need so i was uh, burnt out on programming checks out yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was originally planning on waiting until uh worth the candle was done before i started but it just seems like that's a very very bad plan at this point and i should jump in sometime soon um what are you up to now and how far in do you think you are um, it is, it's at 1.3 million words, which is a lot. Yes. Um, I'm, I, I think, I think it's in the home stretch. I'm, I'm closing more threads than I'm opening. So that's, I, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say. And I kind of try to let myself have some freedom to go do something weird with the story if I want to. Yeah. Part of my, my apprehension about reading works in progress is that more than half the time that they're started i've found that they just end before getting to the ending that they're just abandoned yeah. but like at this point i am pretty damn confident you're going all the way so i think i'm gonna jump in here real soon yeah and we have your email and can you know hassle you be like what happens <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's awesome you're closing yeah. in on wild bow length novel there oh yeah yeah uh worm was i think 1.1.6 million and I'll probably hit that before the end. Awesome. Almost almost definitely, I think. I wanted to mention, too, that uh, Jace is uh, just tardy. I'm not sure if they got if something came up or whatever, but we didn't just not invite him. It's just uh, <laughs> scheduling conflict, I'm guessing. So uh, so if anyone's wondering, where's Jace, the, the voice of reason on the podcast? Well, he's busy. <laughs> we will soldier on without him and hope that things don't get too too far afield. Yes. Alrighty, so as normal, we should start with the less wrong posts. And today, we had Making History Available and, what was the last one? Uh, Stranger Than History. I think we actually forgot to announce this in last week's episode, so hopefully uh, this isn't catching anyone too much by surprise. But, let's get into Making History Available. Uh, Steven, do you want to start? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if this is where he introduces the concept or just where uh, he mentions it again, but this is the... It, he mentioned he opens with the uh, the fallacy of generalization from fictional evidence, which is one of my favorites. Um, it's always fun to kind of point these out whenever they happen in the wild, like just with conversations with friends or something. And it once you're aware that people are actually doing this, I think you, you might notice that it happens surprisingly often. Um, I don't hear a lot of things involving Terminator necessarily, but... Uh, which is what he brings up because that's, you know, especially in 2007 was the main focal point for AI in movies. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm really bad at summarizing. We can just... It's it's uh, amazing how much more AI there has been in movies over the past 
I guess, 13 years now. Like Terminator yeah. at the time was my go-to example of, of what AI is. And now it's like not even in the top five, I don't think. Yeah, it's gotten a lot more mainstream, especially more, um, not necessarily realistic, but more nuanced takes on the idea in, in, fish, in fiction, especially. But um, when he talks about the, the, and it's not the point of the post necessarily, but the, the logical fallacy of generalization from fictional evidence, um, a lot of what people do is that they hear a story and they use that as, as like how they get a handle on a concept. And then that just kind of stays with them, even if the like fictional example doesn't apply in the real world. Yeah. I, I love the term too, uh, generalization from fictional evidence. And I, th yeah. I think this is the first time it shows up in the, in the sequences. I, I'm not actually sure because it's just become so ingrained in my vocabulary now. I don't know when I first saw it. Yeah, same. I, I can't let this pass without just pointing out how much better I think a lot of, uh, cinema especially does ai um like or cinema or tv or whatever it's not really spoilery there's uh ai stuff involved in the towards the end of the tv series silicon valley which is a delightful comedy series about computer nerds trying to start a business and uh like it was it was perfect i i think that it did really really well i even paused at a certain part to explain to my wife like just to throw jargon at her because I was like, oh my god, they're hinting at this thing. If you read Nick Bostrom's book, this would be the thing they're talking about. <laughs> and uh, I think they hit it right on the head. So, um, yeah, things have gotten at least more... There's more variety to point to. But, yeah, th this this post isn't just about introducing that concept. It, it talks about, as the title might suggest, like, because some of us who are aware of the fallacy of generalizing from fictional evidence, like, we have a propensity to not consider historical evidence as real evidence um and i think that and he he has this like line in there about how um like what what was it oh in our ancestral environment there were no movies what you saw with your own eyes was true is it any wonder that fictions we see in lifelike moving pictures have too great an impact on us conversely things that really happened we encounter as ink on paper and they happened but we never saw them happen we don't remember them happening to us and so, like, you know, I have memories from, you know, watching uh, movies or playing video games, especially where it kind of feels more like I'm doing these things. And none of that's none of that's real, but it's more readily available to my like, did this happen bucket in my brain than stuff that I read on a page or heard someone talk about in a class. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I still have like some visceral memories of of. Uh, playing Soma and the you know the experience at the end of that mo uh, game, and it just it never actually happened to me right? right but but it still like kind of emotionally feels like it did that I went through that journey. Yeah, and that's you know to be clear, this isn't to say that you can't take stuff from fiction. I think it'd be a complete misnomer to pretend that a that's what this is saying or b that that's true. Yeah. Um, like you can you can even draw real life lessons from from fiction. But the point is that you, you should be more inclined than we typically are to take real life lessons from things that really happened in our real in our Earth's real history. And he did say at one point that uh, one of the reasons he wrote Methods of Rationality, well, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, was because uh, he wanted to find some way to give the experience of uh, being rational and making these discoveries 
and uh, that that wasn't just ink on paper like the sequences were that were more like a memory and experience that people remember emotionally and i think he did a pretty good job but i'm yeah. biased <laughs> yeah it's um a lot of that that post he goes into like trying to get that feeling of having been there from history like when you read about history trying to actually put yourself in the shoes of you know the people who can can seem very abstract and who um i guess we can misunderstand fairly easily yeah he he said that like it happened right after in the last episode we talked about the his mysterious answer he gave to a mysterious question and how if he had lived through vitalism he would have recognized that was what was happening and he said he he reiterates that here that uh he'd only read about them books but had it actually happened uh to him if he had experienced in the past and lived through those scientific revolutions he would not have made that same mistake and so now, this next part like i find a really interesting insight into his mind because he he has this whole thing where he says uh he should try to approximate the thoughts of an eliezer who had lived through history he should think as if everything he read in history books has actually happened to him he says uh why should i remember the wright brothers first flight i was not there but as a rationalist, could I dare to not remember when the event actually happened? I had to overcome the false amnesia of being born at a particular time. And he goes on to describe how he he starts trying to form these memories that never actually happened to him. And it's really an interesting read. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, go ahead. Uh, sorry. No, I was just going to kind of concur that it's interesting and fun. And I mean, all these are short. Everyone should just be reading these, too. I want to go ahead and, and pull out uh, two new th two more things near the bottom that he he says he came to realize as he tried to picture himself actually living through all these historical events. He says, the modern world became fragile to my eyes. It was not the first modern world. Uh, he mentions this right after uh, he dis describes living in a stable Roman Empire and then seeing it uh, crumble and overrun by barbarians. So many mistakes made over and over and over again because I did not remember making them in every era I never lived. And to think, people sometimes wonder if overcoming bias is important. And then he admonishes everyone to remember things that they didn't actually live through. He says, remember how you had always thought that slavery was right and proper, and then you changed your mind. Don't imagine how you could have predicted the change, for that is amnesia. Remember that, in fact, you did not guess. Remember how, century after century, the world changed in ways you did not guess. Maybe then you will be less shocked by what happens next. So. Yeah, I like it. And that transitions perfectly smoothly into Stranger Than History, yes. which was the second post. And this is the one that, like, before we started recording, I'd mentioned that, like, if you knew nothing else about Eliezer Yudkowsky, I think you could at least get that he's a creative guy with a funny streak just by reading like the first three bullet points on this post. And so I'm going to go ahead and just read all three of them because I can't not. So it opens by saying, suppose I told you that I knew for a fact that the following statements were true. One, if you paint yourself a certain exact color between green and blue and green, it will reverse the force of gravity on you and cause you to fall upward. Two, in the future, the sky will be filled by billions of floating black spheres. Each sphere will be larger than all the zeppelins that have ever existed put together. If you offer a sphere money, it will lower a male prostitute out of the sky on a bungee cord. 3. Your grandchildren will think it's not just foolish, but evil to put thieves in jail instead of just spanking them. You'd think that's crazy, right? 
and I like that the next three that he puts out to contrast these because uh, like you can see the one-to-one -one correlation between them. It says, now suppose it were the year 1901 and you had to choose between believing those statements I have just offered and believing statements like the following. One, there's an absolute speed limit on how fast two objects can seem to be traveling relative to each other, which is exactly the speed of light in miles per hour. Uh, if you hop on board a train going almost this fast and fire a gun out the window, the fundamental units of length change around. So it looks to you like the bullet's speeding ahead of you, but other people see something different. Oh, and time changes around too, <laughs> which which is his, his, you know, correlation to the painting yourself an exact color will reverse gravity. He says, in the future, there will be a superconnected global network of billions of adding machines, each one which has more power than all the pre-1901 adding machines put together. One of the primary uses of this network will be to transport moving pictures of lesbian sex by pretending they are made out of numbers. <laughs> uh, which I, I want to pause real quick to say, remember in 2007 when the primary form of porn was lesbian sex? <laughs> Boy, were we naive. And then finally, your grandchildren will think that it is not just foolish, but evil to say that someone should not be president of the United States because she is black. And I, I think this does a... Yeah, like he, like Stephen said, it, it very well ties into the previous post about pointing out just how weird the future can be and how hard it is to predict what's going to be happening because uh, you you haven't lived through all these sort of crazy revolutionary statements in the past, so you aren't prepared for a world that's going to change in such drastic ways. Like, I mean, if you were to compare any two of those statements it's hard to say which one is more ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And I mean, then you just generate like actual future guesses that seem probable and they sound equally insane, which is like the hidden inference from this, right? Um, you know, in the future, people will be able to switch bodies depending on what they want to feel like looking like that day. And at a whim, they can jump in and out of a matrix-like simulation. That's something that I can see actually happening in the future but that sounds just as insane as painting myself green and flying right i've always kind of assumed um to get into slightly more fraught territory here that in three worlds collide uh the the fiction he wrote there's this one chapter where uh the protagonist mentioned that rape is legal now in the future and there's a lot of implications in my mind in the story that what he's referring to as rape is different from what we think of as rape uh but without getting into all that I, I thought of this post the first time I read that, and I was like, maybe he's doing this thing where he's just trying to, trying to make us understand how weirdly bizarre the future might be, that we can read that, and like we are all shocked and appalled, but perhaps in the future that could actually be the truth, just the same way that we, um, people hundred years from now, hundred years in the past would think that it is uh, shocking to say that it is evil that someone shouldn't be president if they're black. Yeah, I wonder, like, I can't remember if, I mean, because I wasn't there, so I should remember even though I wasn't because of amnesia, um, <laughs> if uh, if he invented the term weirdtopia or if that was a TV tropes thing or some third source. But I think that's what he was going for there. Like, he wanted to stress that, look, if the future utopia is exactly like you think it would be, you're probably missing something if, or rather uh, the a future utopia probably won't be just like you think it would be because the odds of you being exactly right on everything are low. Yeah. Your, your future shouldn't just be an extrapolation of 
the present based on like trend lines that you can see coming. Mm-hmm. So that's never what the future is actually going to be like. Yeah, I think uh, Charles Strauss said that the future is like ninety percent totally mundane, normal stuff, and like nine percent, nine percent just extrapolation of trends, and then like one percent total weird bug fuck stuff that you cannot predict whatsoever. And that's kind of that's kind of his approach to to world building for for the future is is like if you're writing something that's like twenty years in the future, there there needs to be that that element of just strange things that aren't not not necessarily that aren't predictable, but that seem to people as though they came out of nowhere. Yeah. I've, yeah, that makes sense. I've, I mean, I kind of feel like it's pointless to try to write a a true future in part because you know it is so unpredictable, but also because we aren't writing for future audiences. Like if you go back and read a, a science fiction of the past, it's pretty obvious that it's like written for the audience of the time and how how they think what is happening right now is going to affect the future. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like I think that's kind of legitimately the place of science fiction to be like, what is the future that we are careening towards if other things don't change? And let's think about that for a while, despite the fact that we know well and very well that something crazy and drastic is going to change. But what can you do about that? Yeah. It's not like your your audience is people of the future. They cannot buy your book. Yeah. I think in some sense, the partly science fiction authors ruminate on it a lot just because that's what they enjoy doing. Yeah. They like making their predictions and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's a fun thing to do. But it's also partly just to give a a bit of... Um, to like invest a bit of the, the zeitgeist into your work and then also to add a little bit of realism by taking like current trends and, and extrapolating them out and, and trying to create a world that people will understand. But that kind of leaves you out on the weird, the, the like necessarily weird stuff that makes no sense to people from like 30 years ago. I don't know. I could, I could go on in science fiction at length because, man, I love that topic. <laughs> But I, yeah, we don't we don't have time for all that today. Is there anything more that either of you guys had about these two posts? I think I'm good. I think talking about science fiction transitions semi smoothly into talking about the stranger than fiction stuff that we're talking about here. Although that, that just sounded better than it actually ties in. So, <laughs> strange, stranger than real, maybe. Uh, not even not not quite. Whatever. Before we get to that, I, I hate to fuck up your transition, uh, or segue rather, sorry. Uh, no, but we please, should mention it, was, real... it was lost from the start. <laughs> we should mention the posts for next episode. Of course. Uh, next episode, we will be reading and talking about Explain, Worship, Ignore, and Science as Curiosity Stopper. Perfect. Cool. All right. So, uh, I mentioned that this got started on Facebook, which... I don't know. I still use Facebook because I am one of the olds, even though it is social media and I probably shouldn't use it as much, but I cannot help myself. I still stay away from Twitter, so, you know, I am not the worst monster in the world. Um, At least Twitter, you can just filter by following exclusively comedians and scientists or whatever. I got that... on Facebook to set up the uh, the meetup that we're going to try and do this month, and like, not only was it a cesspool for the five seconds that I had to look at the whatever dashboard... But, like, the UI was terrible. I, I was on, like, the beta for the new UI, and I eventually just finally figured out how to switch it back to the old one before finishing what I was trying to do. But 
I mean, if, if the content of Facebook didn't turn you off, the user experience of it should. <laughs> it's It's gotten a lot worse over the years. I've been using Facebook since 2004. Oh, when, OG, when it basically. Required, when it required a, a, a .edu email address. Yeah. Um, and it the user experience has gotten a lot worse, and the people who have gotten onto Facebook have greatly reduced its utility plus there's you know a lot of advertising a lot of um a lot of people getting into the game and ruining what was um actually pretty decent when you know when i was in college and it was just other college kids then it was mostly decent um but it's gotten so much worse over the years i mostly use it for uh to share updates about you know fatherhood and my kid and and uh just lighthearted stuff i don't i don't typically do you know, political stuff, I, I filter out most people who do and most news sources, so it's like a heavily curated thing, but... I am honored that I did not hit your filter list. <laughs> not yet, no. Yeah, right, that, that's coming tomorrow. <laughs> well, it it's, it's, I, I, it's sort of a matter of how much I think there is to add. If, if you know, because you, you can't fully filter, or you shouldn't fully filter by by, you know, by what you're seeing, I guess. But I, I had someone who, uh, the turn of phrase was um, living in accordance with the Constitution, and I was like, I was like, wow, like what do you even mean by that? <laughs> like the Constitution, do you, do you mean like in the spirit of the preamble, or in the, like the spirit of what the founding fathers meant? Or it sounds like a I weird mean, it was, take it on was biblical religious, living. Yeah, it it was a a religious phrase being borrowed to what's a document the details the limitations of the federal government against the states right so what was and, and oh I, it was i don't know it was one of those people who has not thought very deeply about things and did not know very much history because i'm like the the argument was in terms of um freedom of expression right uh specifically with regards to whether or not she should be mandated to wear a mask ah um and it's just like the you know the constitution says that your free your free expression should not be infringed and i'm like okay but like first of all that was only for the federal government when it was originally written right that that was not the bill of rights was not applied to the states for uh i don't know like 100 100 and some years um second like if you read the federalist papers uh they make that argument that it is necessary to give up liberty in, in order to have safety Right. And third, if you go to look at the Supreme Court cases that have been decided, there are limitations to liberty uh, in order to ensure the public safety. And that's always been kind of a an essential American debate because Americans place so much um, emphasis on liberty. But, you know, it you can go through and you can read the Supreme Court cases. It's been established law for quite a while that... Uh, there are concerns of public safety where your uh, basically the, the bounds of liberty are, are not absolute from from the government, um, which should be obvious because the government collects taxes, right? Among among many other things that the government does that infringe upon your liberty, um, the the court case I cited specifically was a a vaccination one. Uh, it was a 191905 one where they're basically like, yeah, the, a state can enforce vaccination orders. For the public good uh, and th- it, your your liberty does not extend so far that you can just endanger other people by not getting vaccinated 
Um, and she did not like that. And then I blocked her. <laughs> I mean, the vaccination. That, that was is the a, story of that drama. But well, I mean, it sounds like I the vaccination one was a much better example than the facetious one I was going to come up with, which is like it's it constrains my liberty to say t- to tell me which side of the road I can drive on. And yet, if you catch me driving on the left side of the road, I should be pulled over and given a ticket, if not have my license taken away. And I like, I think that's right and proper because I'm a good, uh, I don't know what you call it. Who's the person who wants to roll over and give up their liberties? Um, yeah, I'm a great, I'm a good bootlicker of the government, and I think that if they catch me driving on the wrong side of the street, they should give me a ticket or at least tell me not to. Um, and I mean, my, my again, my other facetious point is that like. The, the founding fathers didn't know what a germ was. So, like, they didn't have an opinion on wearing masks to prevent the spreading of disease. Now, well, obviously, that's not the case they were making. They were you know, your, your, your interlocutor on Facebook, but... Yeah. Um, actually, uh, George Washington did mandate vaccines uh, for the Continental Army. Um, hmm. Just because sickness killed so many people, and they had they had a really crappy smallpox vaccine that was, like, you take... You take scabs from someone who has smallpox and you like crush them up into a powder and then you dip a wet needle in that powder and you poke a healthy person with it. Um, that was what they did for, for vaccines back in back during the uh, Revolutionary War. Um, yeah, I mean, and that, that sounds crazy now, but that's actually, you know, given the technology available, a really innovative solution. Yeah, um, and, and that... that uh, it gives you a very mild form. I, I think it was smallpox, but it gives you a very, very mild form of it. There's still, man, it's still a, there's still a fatality rate associated with it even. Yeah, um, I think it was 2 but, or 3%. But they, yeah, and they chose to do it anyway. Yeah, because uh, it was, it was, was mandated. Then if it yeah. were rampant, yeah. Because war conditions especially, um, uh, a disease can just rip through the barracks so quickly. Uh, but yeah, so it's <laughs> it, that's another point in favor of um giving up a little liberty right yeah. uh I, I don't know I, I i think that there's debate to be had about the balance of um liberty and safety right uh but it to to say that it you know there there's an absolute liberty that comes from the constitution um especially that that part where it's like this this is about the constitution it's not about like natural rights Right, it's an appeal to the Constitution rather than anything. That I don't know. That's just like it gets to me, and then I spend too much time on like Facebook posts that that are just like um, I made the mistake of going to uh, my local news their Facebook thing because a thing showed up, and then I expanded the comments, and that was my that was oh, my that was my problem. You read the comments. Like, yeah, well, and I it's my natural inclination to try to correct people when they are when there's misinformation you know um like i'll go track down a source and you know say what i believe to be to be the truth and and that's not that's not gotten me too great of results i don't think in terms of it, like changing anyone's mind but i would rather that i do that it just it eats up time for for no real purpose i guess that's just a well, well and as, a personal flaw. I and guess. as collateral damage, you might end up helping somebody, you know, get a better picture of stuff. So that's not a bad thing. And I should mention, yeah. too, since you don't know me as well as Inyash and maybe our listeners have heard me make this joke enough. Like, I'm not besmirching Facebook, like, users that they shouldn't be doing it. I, I'm more talking about my own dispositions and that I I don't have the, the gumption to face it 
Um, it's not like I think anyone who uses Facebook is doing something stupid. Uh, I realized a few minutes ago that what I'd said may have come off that way, and I didn't mean it that way. So <laughs> No, no. I, I, I think that there are a lot of good arguments for getting off social media in general. Um, Twitter especially. I think Facebook is a little more amenable to curation. And then Reddit is... Um, you can sequester yourself into a community, in and, and that community has like actual control, in in a way that that is better than, than the the absolute free for all of Twitter. Especially, it's just. And Twitter, it, I mean, it's just made up of small, out of context bullets that are flung around. Whereas with uh, Reddit, especially, God, I love Reddit. You can have long conversations that are threaded, or you can quote and reply people. It's it's really ideal i wish reddit was more popular but i mean i guess that's the whole thing social media is optimized to spread itself and the best way to spread itself is to enrage and trigger people and just uh inflame things as much as possible so the more reasonable and and rational if i dare say a forum is the less popular it will be overall because that's just not how these things multiply yeah and i, I think speed is another big factor that really hurts twitter is that a lot of it is is near real time mm-hmm. and so um i have this problem with discord is that you like let's say you're having a conversation with someone and they say something and you're like mm, is that true and then you go try to find a source and that can take some time and by the time you come back the conversation's over oh yeah um so, <laughs> and and if you like finally print it's like no you, you're misquoting this source or you misunderstood this or whatever if they did you know sometimes sometimes i go to look things up and it turns out i'm wrong um <laughs> but you come back and the conversations moved on no one cares anymore it's just you left to go educate yourself and uh, it, i think it gives a real disincentive for doing any like homework investigation or deep thought on anything it's just whoever can type the fastest that's that's not you know the the full of it but um that's a lot of my problem with discord and a lot of other chat applications is it being in real time really hurts fact checking and deeper thought and trying to unravel things because you can just hit an avalanche of of conversation and every everyone moves on and uh twitter in my experience has been a lot like that too because the average outrage on twitter lasts you know a day maybe but like a handful of days for the bigger stuff but um there was a oh, there's a great mark twain quote um the lie can get the, halfway around the world before the truth can put on its pants yeah it's some, something to that effect but yeah it's uh there um i think about that a lot in the context of social media because it's much more true now than it was in in mark twain's time yeah well that that brings us basically exactly to what i was wanted to talk to you about because uh the so the uncharitable uncharitable way to put this is that it seemed to me like you said the best you were thinking the the best way to combat lies uh is with stricter censorship and i thought that was really a very bad idea i guess the 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 the, the quote i'm not going to read the whole thing but uh my idea was or was the standard liberal philosophy of uh you defeat bad ideas by exposure and argument and persuasion and uh all censorship does is decide who has the most power 
and they can silence their opposition, whereas having this open uh, argument and, and debate will let people who are actually correct rise to the top. So um, in, that, in that effect, the pressure in one regime is to be as powerful as possible regardless of the cost, whereas the pressure in the other regime is to have the thing that is closest to the truth. And uh, the way you uh, the what you said to me is that um, this uh, this idea that the way to defeat bad ideas is by exposure, argument, persuasion is absolutely not the lesson of the last few decades of public discourse. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, do you know the subreddit Who Would Win? I do not. I love okay. it. Okay. What am I? There, my there, there's a subreddit called Who Would Win, and you just all, almost all the posts are of uh, some variety of you know who would win the Hulk or Superman, right? And before you can answer that question, and in this case, the question is, who would win, truth or lies, right? Um, before you can answer that question, you have to set some boundaries on, like, what version of the Hulk are you talking about? What version of Superman? And it's my belief that, depending on the circumstances, and I, I personally think the circumstances right now are, are very ripe for it, uh, lies will win over truth. I think, especially with social media um, being one of the dominant methods of discourse um lies will win over the truth just because people don't do their fact checking um because a lot of open discourse is not actually open discourse a lot of how people get their information is um is selective and we don't actually have that that open discourse and that like charitable dialogue that um that it would be great if we did have and so my belief in the power of truth to prevail over the power of lies is basically that truth does not have what it takes at the moment. Well, I agree, so at <laughs> I, I agree with you that uh, social media is uh, currently an absolutely terrible place for this and maybe forever systematically a terrible place for this. But I don't think that the way to win that is to uh, give in and follow their rules and you know, find out who can form the largest screaming Twitter mob. It's to uh, stick by the principles of you guys are just a screaming Twitter mob. And uh, once you can have a recent debate, uh, come back and talk with us. And in the meantime, we will continue putting forward these uh, recent positions and evidence and whatever. And uh, we won't censor you guys and you don't censor us. Well, okay. So I don't think it's just social media, and I don't think it's just Twitter mobs. Um, I think a lot of the problem comes from people who have platforms and um, how they how they choose to use those platforms, right? Um, so the the anti-vax stuff started in like 1998. Uh, there's a guy named Andrew Wakefield who was a British physician, and he put out this paper that got into the Lancet which was uh, about a link between the MMR vaccine and autism. And uh, over the next few years, uh, it didn't replicate. It was found out that he had some really pretty serious conflicts of interest. He had taken um, 400,000 pounds from a legal group that was attempting to litigate against uh, the MMR vaccine. Um, he took that money like two years before... He published his study and uh, never disclosed it. Um, it came out. It came out after some investigation, and he had filed a, a libel lawsuit. And it came out during discovery, I think. And um, he was thoroughly discredited. And 
there were co-authors that pulled their names from it. Uh, he was claiming it was, you know, uh, silencing of science or whatever. Uh, he lost his libel lawsuit and had to pay for legal fees of the defendants. Um, it was basically never replicated, Had was strongly repudiated by every medical institution, right? It's um, straight up fraud. Yeah, it, it, and also uh, a lot of the data was fraud. A lot of the um, people selected for the study were brought to him by the same legal team that was going to do this litigation on MMR, right? It was it was complete. It was probably the one of the closest, one of the biggest examples of academic fraud and misconduct, like probably in the last thirty years. Um, it anyway, biggest one of the modern. <laughs> that, yeah, uh, so 2007, uh, Jenny McCarthy comes on Oprah and starts talking about how vaccines cause autism, right? And Oprah never talks back about that. Uh, Oprah never said, hey, uh, I don't think any of this is true. I don't know if Oprah, like, didn't have fact checkers or didn't know what Jenny McCarthy was going to talk about, whatever. Uh, anyway, 2007 is basically the birth of the anti-vax movement, right? Um Jenny McCarthy has said that, you know, she got her degree in the College of Google. Uh, uh, so um, anti-vax movement starts, and now we have fairly regular outbreaks of these diseases that were, you know, basically eradicated. Because Jenny, because Oprah, you know, it's, it's for a lot of reasons, but um, you can kind of look at these chains of people saying things that are clearly false and these false things they get their foothold in and then they cause real damage in the real world right that is when, when i'm looking at the failures of the truth to beat the lies that's what i'm looking at i'm looking at things things that are like that that's one example out of a lot but uh sometimes people are are motivated in their deceit and sometimes it's just uh biases i guess the, the the things that are not the truth um the, there's something you said that was basically that the truth has one big advantage which is that it's true right and and you can go out and you can verify in the real world um the problem with that is that sometimes you can't go out and verify it right like for myself i can't go out and personally verify whether mmr causes autism <laughs> i don't have children that uh, I can inject with an MMR vaccine. <laughs> you don't have 30 kids for a randomized control trial. Right. I, I can't I can't do that trial on my own. I would never get permission to do it. I don't have access to the data. I might be able to get the data, but even then I'm not, you know, I'm not a scientist. I, I don't I don't know enough that I could write my own study and trust it. I, I, I know enough about myself to know that I can't do those things. There's some people who who disagree, who think that if they have access to the data, they can just make their own conclusions from it. I kind of, I am skeptical of that for a number of reasons, because it's failed for a lot of people in the past trying to do that. Right. Um, but that's the kind of thing that, like, I can't empirically verify a lot of facts. Uh, most facts, almost, right? And um, so I, I, I want to, like, interject here to say that i agree with you first that the anti-vaxxers are horribly misinformed to put it very charitably and uh are responsible for a lot of misery and death uh but on the other hand like what would you have done that was different from how things were done because almost 
any intervention I can see that uh, that would limit people's ability to speak would have even worse consequences than what we have right now. Well, it depends. It depends on where you made your intervention, right? Um, what Google does now for a couple different things, but um, Google, if, for certain things, if you if you Google them, you'll get, instead of the normal top result or instead of an ad or something, they'll direct you to pages of information, right? Um, there's also, you know, the Landsat publishing that they, they, they were like, oh, we never would have published it if we'd known about these, you know, conflicts of interest that weren't disclosed, like these multiple, multiple different conflicts of interest. And um, I think the replication crisis in a lot of scientific fields is, is an indication that a lot of people just have not been doing their work as as far as peer review goes. Yes, right. Well, but hold on. And there are a lot of there are a lot of systemic problems there that you could solve that would also solve some of these things. There are things that could have been done differently, and that were you know these are problems that were known about for for quite a while, and then there's structural issues, and no one really has the incentive to fix them, and so yeah. But the only way to yeah, I I, I don't know that that intervention helps. Um, oh, okay. Well. I was about to say that's just Google pointing people at the truth, but okay, you're, you're saying that doesn't help. No, no, Google pointing out people to the truth, I think, does help. Oh, okay. I think that 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 having, you know, Google return, Google also will hide results. That I don't know if you want to call that censorship. I don't know that I would call that censorship. I certainly don't know what what you think about it, but I don't know that I would call that censorship because it's it is in a sense because people go to Google and they ask Google for results back and they maybe foolishly expect those results to be unbiased or yeah or... google has i mean google has lost a lot of credibility in my eyes over the past year because of how they implement their algorithm and how they um massage what what you see um lots of times if i'm not lots of times usually if i'm googling something i am searching for the same thing everyone else is searching for when they google those words and so google assuming that is a a thing that saves me some time but i don't want it to make that assumption because there's other times when what i'm searching for is actually what i really wanted to search for and google assuming that like oh 99 uh percent of everyone else who searched for these terms found this and went, wanted to see this the, he must want the same thing is not accurate and like screw you guys for trying to make that decision for me so i am i'm trying to switch over to DuckDuckGo more and more but the thing the thing with google is like if it's intentionally hiding results for someone that specifically searched for something then yes i would consider that censorship if it's more like putting the truth at the top of the list then that's more of like a nudge than a censorship and I wouldn't have a problem with that. Yeah. A lot of what they do, they put, they have like their own custom cards that they make that aren't like, yeah, that aren't like a source that they're pointing to. Mm. Uh, I know they do that for, or did that recently for COVID where they don't, they don't actually even point you at a, at a source as the first thing. They just give you the information that you want. They do that for a lot of things. Um, but that is one of those things that probably helps the spread, prevent the spread of misinformation. If you just have, the full accurate information at the top. Um, I know f they started doing that recently for uh, for climate change uh, on YouTube, where if you go to any video that's flagged as talking about climate change, below the video they'll have their own like, hey, here's what you actually need to know. Interesting. They don't they don't remove the videos, but they do put their own, you know, counter art like basically the stock counter argument. 
for anything that's, that you're going to find, they put that below the video, which I think is also helpful and more in the direction of um, like open debate, right? Well, I mean, because the, the I I I I'm, I'm, I want to backtrack just a little bit. Like with the anti-vaxxers, would you have recommended that a Jenny McCarthy be silenced somehow? Or oh yeah, okay, yeah. How I mean, she's she, well in in. One of the ways that you can do it is to not silence, like you you don't you know put a muzzle on her, but you make it so that there are disincentives for people to spread misinformation, right? You also if don't invite her on Oprah, like right. Well, Oprah but made Skeptoids her. top t- or number one place on the top ten list of harmful promoters of pseudoscience. Yeah, but that and... Oprah is is Oprah. Like, are we going to make a law that says the government has to vet all Oprah uh, guests first? No, I mean you do it, you do it post facto. You do it. You do it after the fact. If if there's something that gets brought to the attention of you know whoever that, it, I mean that's that's how a lot of our our laws for that are, um, we have a lot of laws that are against free speech, right? Or that are uh, against some defined things that are um, not covered under free speech. Uh, and I'm not even necessarily talking about. I mean, okay, so there's the government, and then there are private entities. Um, like, those are different forms of censorship, but Twitter does have the power to um, enact censorship, right? Outside of any legal framework. Right. It can just it can just silence people if it wants to. The only thing preventing it from doing that are market considerations. And possibly legal considerations if they're suddenly classified as a... Um, a publisher instead of a platform, which would have legal consequences and stuff. But um, legally speaking, like you aren't allowed to yell fire in a crowded theater. Um, you are not allowed to incite violence. Uh, you aren't allowed to defame people. Um, uh, I know there's four of them, but we have we have existing laws preventing people from speech, which goes too far in whatever regard, right? So I don't think that, you know, m- most of them are post facto though, right? You're, you're allowed to defame someone, you just have consequences for that. It's not that, I mean, I guess you can get an injunction against something that's defamatory, but um, usually it's it's after the fact instead of before the fact, which is uh, a lesser form of censorship in my eyes, because you're not, you're not silencing someone but there's some sort of due process where we decide if something is so damaging to the public good that it has to be uh, prevented from being said, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. There, there is due process, and uh, well, I mean, Twitter... that's the thing, though. There isn't due process in a lot of the public discourse. Uh, there is just wild accusations and mobs, and that is what I'm against. If there was due process, like someone having to actually take someone to court, maybe Jenny McCarthy, maybe whoever it is that they want to get canceled and show some evidence, I would not have nearly the same problem with uh, the way things have been going. It's much more the fact that a a, uh, a passionate accusation uh, of, of harm can get almost anything uh, silenced if the person making right. the accusation is popular enough. Yeah, that's, well, it's not even necessarily popular enough because a lot of the calls for cancellation don't come from like hugely influential people they just kind of snowball through twitter and then smack into someone sure the the problem with that is that that's a consequence of free speech right like um i mean to to some extent that's covered under uh like defamation but trying to trying to put out a defamation lawsuit against 
some rando on Twitter, I don't think you're going to get very far with that. No, right. I mean, that is a consequence of free speech, which is why I prefer to fight it with more free speech, such as what initially started all this was the Harper's letter saying that there's too much of this shit going around and people should take a, a greater, stronger stand against it. And uh, that that is the kind of fighting back to it that I am in favor of, as opposed to like literally trying to stop people through the force of law from from forming these mobs well i don't i just don't think you're gonna i mean you're, you're not gonna be able to stop them through the force of law because the the law has a hard time reaching through the internet right most of these people are not in the same state or even the same country and trying to like you're, you're not gonna be able to do it through force of law you might be able to do it through the force of twitter twitter corporate um well then shouldn't you maybe be on my side with the whole you know we should fight back using our own social pressure and standing by the principles of stop trying to uh, shut down discourse and cancel um, It depends on what you mean by shutting down discourse. Uh, there are, I mean, like anti-vax, right? Uh, I would love if you could argue with those people, get them to change their mind, make them, not make them, convince them that it was correct to vaccinate their kids and then have them vaccinate their kids and then there's less illness and death, right? Uh, I just don't think that's realistic. I, I mean, I don't think it's worked so far. I know a lot of people have, have tried. So at some point, you need to either have algorithmic interventions to, to you know, make sure that that stuff is at least not being promoted by these dumb algorithms that are in place that are just trying to drive engagement, right? Um, or you do the thing that YouTube does, you do automatic title cards or automatic information that at least will will maybe try to drive people at the right source and automate the process of arguing, um, which is, honestly, if you've ever argued with an anti-vaxxer, the big problem is it just takes so much time for so little gain. You know, the, the one of my problems with open discourse is that, first of all, I don't know, pe people are big balls of bias, right? And... It is very hard. You have to approach them with, with empathy and like try to see it from their point of view. Try to like model their world and present what evidence you can. But evidence is not really that powerful of a thing for a lot of people, you know. But, but so, you know, when we're talking about things that like Twitter could do as opposed to things that the law could do, Twitter could do more than it's doing to, you know. I mean, people are literally dying because of the anti-vax stuff. That's not... I mean, there, well, if, it's, it, there, there are a number of scientific studies about the impact of, um, of the anti-vax movement, right? In terms of, uh, like, how many fewer people have been vaccinated since uh, certain events have happened. Like, the, track, trying to track vaccination rates and then trying to track actual outbreaks um, and stuff like that. That's, that's a real thing that happens. And to just say that, you know, Twitter should should let those people speak that should should try to make sure that its algorithm is is unbiased. Like, I would love if Twitter were biased in the direction of the truth. I'd love if all our social media were in, biased in the direction of, of open debate and clear communication and authoritative sources. I, I don't know. I, it's just not, it's not where it is. It's not where we're at right now, which is why I don't think, I, I don't have a lot of faith in the truth to win, to win out, right? Well, it, it seems to me that you, I mean, you're you're obviously very fixated on the anti-vax thing, and I know you have a young child, so 
probably rightly so. Um, but well, actually, I don't even know if your child's young anymore. God knows how many years it's. Been. Yep, he's he's four years old. He's right in the he's right in the age range where uh, measles from rubella and mumps would be uh, really bad. Okay. Uh, but I, I'm, it's not even necessarily the anti-vax things. I mean, we, we could talk about other stuff that's just relatively politically neutral, right? There, there is a lot of um, there's a lot of mis- misinformation, a lot of it very motivated by... No, I mean, the thing is, like, I, I agree with you that anti-vax is bad, and you have you have more of a personal stake than I do, so I don't want to come off sounding callous about this, and I apologize beforehand if I do, um, but I am worried that the proposed solution is, in the long term, worse than the cure would be. Because while right now you may be uh, only censoring the anti-vax people and saving lives because of it, once you've implemented this policy of people who have decided they know the truth and have the power to censor people uh, not only can but should do so for society's own good, right now that's fine. Give it a hundred years and you might be back into the position of the church who knew what was actually good for people and was censoring things like... uh, whether the earth traveled around the sun or not yeah well that's that's a slippery slope the the question is whether the slope is actually slippery right i i am in favor of certain instances of twitter just and to twitter and to a lesser extent the government right because twitter is a, a corporate entity and well but do you think if, it would, if, if, if people don't want to use twitter they can just not use twitter yeah you know but do you think it would literally apply only to the anti-vax case and nothing else ever no 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 i think i think it applies to other things i think that it is a matter of degree right i'm okay with certain examples of it of, of censoring uh things that cause direct harm it's just it's just a question of what the litmus test is and it's a question of to what degree it's allowed. Now, I, I think that is a reasonable concern to think that you start allowing it for one thing, you're going to start allowing it for other things, the rule's going to start creeping up, there'll be, like, pressure to just censor all dissenting voices. I think that's a reasonable concern. I just don't think that's necessarily the outcome. I think it's right? also like, realistic to, like, expect censorship to have, like, and I, I've been mostly silent just because I'm enjoying the conversation, so... Um, like a while ago, Inyash mentioned about how Google won't return results sometimes. Now that counts as censorship, but that doesn't strike me as like a necessarily bad thing. Um, I wouldn't want it to be Googleable. You know, okay, Google, how do I build a chemical bomb out of stuff I can buy at Safeway? Like, I, I want that to come up with nothing because um, I don't want people who would use that information to have it, right? What if you need that information to fight off the Nazis? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, that's a risk I'm seriously willing to take. <laughs> okay. Like, given that I can still buy a gun, and I think that'd probably be more effective than throwing a, whatever, chlorine gas bomb at Nazis. Uh, you know, it, it, maybe we could have a caveat that in the event of a, you know, a full-on invasion, whether it be from, you know, zombie Nazis or aliens... Uh, all the the search engine firewalls come down, and anyone can Google whatever they want. But uh, like, I is that something that you would find like I, a is that kind of censorship, and b is that objectionable, or do you think that no, as a as a as an American, I have a right, or as a human, or whatever, I have a right to Google uh, whatever dangerous knowledge I want, and Google should deliver that to me. Uh, is the same at me? Uh, yeah, you're, I think you were the one who was coming off as anti censorship. 
Yes. Uh, when, when it comes to things like the ability to make weapons, obviously, at some point, we need to draw some sort of line. Like, it's not that difficult to uh, gather the materials you need over a course of a year to make a dirty bomb. Um, uh, the the quote-unquote radioactive Boy Scout uh, started doing that sort of thing. And I'm not sure that's the best idea to have that knowledge easily available. And the more extreme and dangerous these things get, the more likely it is that we should uh, make it hard to get this information. But um, it's... It, it, it's not like the knowledge to make uh, basic fertilizer bombs isn't already out there. It's it's relatively easy to find. Yeah, I mean, just like it's relatively easy to find uh, whatever. And I like the anti-vax example, not not just because it's might be you know salient for one of the the speakers, but it's like it's a it's a good nice example. It has history. It has trackable data. Um, you know, COVID would be another really good example. But we haven't. We don't have 15 years of data on where all the bullshit around that is going to take us. Like, uh, yeah. In fact, you mentioned like the badges on YouTube and on Google. Um, Twitter's doing that for some stuff. I'm not on Twitter. I was on there briefly for like the summer of 2012, and uh, just didn't find the platform useful. But um, like, I, th- I it came to my attention that you know, if say somebody like the president tweets mail-in ballots will destroy democracy and there's tons of fraud, there will be a little badge underneath every reply or rather uh, beneath the tweet above every reply that says, here are the facts or click here to get the facts on mail-in ballots. Um, If he says that, you know, COVID's made up or whatever, Kung flu is a democratic hoax, then there will be a badge that shows up underneath that that says click here to get the straight business on COVID. Wait, is is Kung is Kung flu another term for COVID now? Oh, you don't watch his uh, rallies. It's, <laughs> it, it's, oh it's one that uh, Trump uses. Yeah. Holy shit! That's a, that's a term he uses for it. Yeah, if you want to, if you want an aneurysm, watch his rally in Oklahoma that he did last month. I'd rather not. Oh man, I I've watched so many Trump rallies. They are just they're they're mildly tolerable in some sense if he's working off a teleprompter, but he's usually not. If there was some sort of due process to decide what to get censored, I would be much more okay with that. Like if we decide uh, that, by we, I mean, you know, the government society in general, that decides that the uh, knowledge of how to build an atomic bomb should be a state secret, then at least that's a, a policy that is out in the open and everyone knows about. Like Germany has a strong censorship policy about Nazi stuff. And we would consider that impinging on our rights because it is very much censorship of free speech. But I think that they have a special case in their country why they want to do that. And since it's a matter of known public policy, it's much more reasonable than if uh, if it was just being randomly determined by whoever happened to hold their reins of power in in some arbitrary position. Don't don't get me wrong, I I. Like, I like Twitter mobs as much as the next person, but I'm skeptical of the hope that a due process judgment on what gets censored would be at all desirable. I'd, I'd rather have it be the mob, rather have it be uh, the CEO of Twitter, because, I mean, just imagine if, you know, you get enough of the House, enough of Congress and the president to all sign off and say, no, you know what, we're going to say that... Uh, 
windmills cause cancer. And that is the new truth. Anyone who tries to correct that, they get silenced. Like, that could pass the due process because they have the votes. Right. right? No, yes, but what, I mean, the point that I'm trying to get to is that I, I think we might be slightly talking past each other because it never even gets up to the position of the CEO of Twitter is what I'm saying. It's someone... What was the latest example? Well, Some Navy guy from in 1983 wrote something about women shouldn't be in combat, and someone discovered it online, and they target his employers because people have discovered that employment is the soft underbelly in the U.S. Uh, they t you can't live without uh, someone providing your health care through your job. They target his employers. Now he doesn't have a job. Now he's possibly unemployable. And there was no decision made by any CEO at Twitter or any sort of decision-making process at all it was just an angry mob on twitter pushing pre pushing pressure on a on a, a guy's employer and now he's fucked and like the harper's letter is the sort of thing that says this is bad we should stop doing it and we should be angry at people who do do it rather than a direct statement on government censorship or or things along those lines okay i was yeah, thinking so along the lines of like what comes back when you google stuff well, I think I think that there are different aspects to it. And I think that, yes, Twitter mobs suck. I just don't think the Harper's Letter is going to do anything. I think people have been talking about the evils of cancel culture far before it was, you know, a recognized thing, right? And I don't think it's... Part of what irks me about the Harper's Letter is that it's like pretending that that's a thing that the left does, right? Is, is cancel culture is a... A problem of the left and and then in no other way does anyone else do it right that's not that is the case that is not the impression i got because i think both sides do it i personally think it's more egregious when the left does it because we used to be the side that was standing up against that sort of thing but but i don't think it's just a problem on the left yeah all, all of their examples were were on the left right all, all the all their examples that were in the the harper's letter they were not there were examples of the left doing it. That's, well, that's I rushed why... to point out there were no actual examples in the Harper letter. It was intentionally oh, yeah. vague. The, it was intentionally vague and trying to allude to certain things that had happened. Would you agree that it was alluding to things that had happened, even if it didn't specifically cite those things? I would definitely say there were some allusions, but the allusions were broad enough that you could apply them to things that happened on the right as well. It's just that yeah. the ones that have happened on the left recently are more salient to, to recent memory. Well, that, the other thing that irked me about it was I thought they were very weaselly in doing that. Oh. I, think, I thought that was a weasel's way of of just being like, hey, we could be talking about anyone. And that's in a way that wasn't helpful. Because if, you know, if we're looking at specific examples, I think we can make better judgments. And I think we can have arguments about them. But if, if those are not specific examples, if those are just illusions that you can use to, like, slip out of any concrete discussion, um, I, I just found that really annoying <laughs> just when when reading it okay um but i yeah it's it's a problem everywhere basically uh i don't know how involved you were in gamergate <laughs> i was strongly aware of gamergate but i did not partake it was a it was a huge thing and the, that's like that's to me that the thing that that is now called cancel culture oh yeah um these these harassment campaigns these like dredging up sometimes hacked emails yeah, it was and it was like, disgusting from the very beginning it was like someone had a shitty breakup and all of a sudden the entire world has to be in on it like, yeah, what the happy fuck, to just get, 
I'm happy to go on the record <laughs> as saying that I somehow completely missed all of it when it was happening and yeah. only have the vaguest outline. I, in fact, uh, if you'd asked me what is Gamergate, I would say it was something that happened in the mid-2010s, I think, that involved video games. I, I know literally nothing beyond that, and I'm kind of okay with that. The super short yeah. cleaned up version is that there was a game developer who was dating a game journalist, and they had a bad breakup, and uh, I don't, the developer brought it to Twitter and basically just shat on their ex-partner, and it turned into a whole, oh, there's no truth in gaming journalism. They're all, like, sleeping with people for the clicks or such. It was... It was crazy misogynistic bullshit over something that completely irrelevant to actual gaming. Like gaming journalism has never at all been anything that is uh, objective. It's all about giving triple A ratings to the triple A games, and maybe every now and then you'll see an indie game mentioned. But like, if it came from Bungie, you know they're gonna give it at a ten out of ten and drool all over it. Yeah. Well, the the point being that um, a lot of that stuff was my first real exposure to not to, to the to the twitter mob okay right? yeah i don't even think twitter was yeah tw- twitter was not as big then as it is now but but i just don't see something like the harper's letter actually helping or being an, a good approach because i don't think that this is like i don't think that individual first of all i don't think individual members of the mob are probably even going to read it i think most people don't read articles they just read headlines mm-hmm. or tweets mm-hmm. um that's that's a problem of our time is that people just Oh my god, the, one of the things I hate the most about Reddit is that if you go to any of the big subreddits, you get all these comments, and then people are like, well, did you not read the article? It's like, oh, it's Reddit, we didn't read the article. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like it's your, so your, your question is that it's a meme. Yeah, your, your question was answered in the article that you did not read. Yeah. <laughs> or, or your comment was explicitly refuted in the article that you did not read. Um, so, for, yeah, first of all, I don't think anyone's going to read the Harper letter that, you know is in control of this mob because no one is in control of the mob right yeah and the mob is the mob because it's just it's just birds engaging in this flocking behavior and i don't think that during gamergate it would have helped to be like hey this is shitty behavior please don't do it you know it'd be better for all of us if you did if you weren't shitty to these people no i i Um, agree you're not gonna stop the mob from being shitty to people but the point of the harper's letter is to um put more pressure on elites and employers to not cave into the mob. I think that's also, it's very hard to get someone to take a principled stand when it costs them, uh, which is usually why the people cave in, right? It's, uh, you, or you know, a lot of these institutions, just the way capitalism works, where people are running really, really close to the line of, of profitability and they can't take losing a whole bunch of subscribers or losing advertisers like that if, if it's a choice between having to lay a bunch of people off to take a, a, a principled stand in favor of like due process or something it's just not something most organizations are going to do yeah but I, I... Um, especially especially because of the all the work that has been done over the past however many decades of trying to get states to do um like no fault uh, not mm, yeah at will employment right yeah. uh that's that's another big problem with it is you know your, your work can fire you for whatever reason it wants and as soon as you start losing your work money um i mean that they kind of have to fire you but i think that's the the purpose of the harper letter and other similar movements that are starting now is to uh first of all 
give people the impression that if you do stand up for your principles, there are good people who are, you know, well known enough to be asked to sign an open letter, large public figures that are on your side, and that maybe you will not lose as much business. And we're trying to turn this thing around. Like, it's, yeah, it's not going to make a huge difference overnight. And it's certainly not going to stop the Twitter mob. But if a lot of employers see that a lot of other employers are also taking the stand together, they can, over time, create a united front. Like, that's, that's the purpose this is building towards. And to, in my opinion, to, like, tear it down at the very start and saying, oh, it's never going to happen. Well, I mean, yeah, of course it's not going to happen if you tear it down right at the start. But if you can <laughs> build up this movement of solidarity, some people will be able to hold to their principles. And the more people that can do that, the more we can push back against the Twitter mob losing people their livelihoods. All right. Well, maybe I just have no faith in capitalism, but... Um... <laughs> A lot of these companies are pitted against each other, right? They're explicitly rivals. Mm -hmm. And one company losing means another company gains. And a lot of the performative wokeness that you see from these companies, which includes, like, firings and stuff, is strictly a matter of trying to extract the most money from people. And getting companies that are in the business of extracting the most money out of their customers and giving the least amount of money to their workers, getting those companies who are already doing that to... To make a principled stand that is not going to make them money, and in fact might lose them money. I don't know. I, part of the reason that I favor, in some cases, censorship, is I just I, I see these structural problems that have created all this stuff, and I want to fix the structural problems, right? If I could fix the structural problems and not have to do any censorship, right, that would be great. Mm -hmm. um, failing that, there is real harm being done by some of this misinformation um that i i just i want it to be stopped yeah i i mean i would also I, like that harm to be stopped i just fear the long-term consequences more yeah I, I guess what i will say to that is that we have had limitations on free speech in america for our entire existence right there there's stuff that's brought in from english common law that you know you, you do not have a an absolute right to free speech and i think that we have done a roughly okay most of the time job in not in finding the balance between liberty and safety or liberty and the well-being of the people right I, I i mean i i value liberty but i'm a consequentialist and if liberty is not providing the best outcomes in all circumstances then then in some cases it needs to be curtailed by some amount yeah i agree and i think that we have, for the most part, done a really good job of it. I just think there was a very large shock to the system uh, when social media came out and the old the old regime is struggling to keep up. It feels a lot like when the printing press was invented and what that did to Europe. And I, I don't want to uh, forget the things that history taught us in the past uh, to tie it back to the less wrong posts from earlier uh, by going back to a censorship model when there should be other ways to deal with the technology that will not will not lead us back to killing each other. Yeah. Can you expand well, on I, the analogy? I'm sorry. I don't want to interject. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, can you expand on the analogy between the introduction of the printing press and social media? Like, I get part of it, but it's not clear to me uh, exactly what the implications are or what one should do to combat misinformation like, 
Does that make sense? Uh, like, what, what yeah. was done when the printing press came out to combat misinformation? I'm guessing nothing. Uh, right. Well, it, it took a while. So um, my understanding of history, and I will admit, first of all, that this is not uh, an era that I have spent a huge amount of time in. Uh, but from my understanding, uh, when the printing press came out, it became cheap and easy to distribute uh, distribute ideas far and wide, where before uh, ideas didn't travel all that much. Uh, they went with traders and merchants, and there was some ability to prevent those things from contaminating a society too badly. Whereas once the printing press came out, knowledge just exploded everywhere. And a lot of people uh, started having a lot of new ideas, which were threatening to other people. And they did not want these ideas to spread. And, go ahead. Do, do you want my alternate reading of history? Um, sure, because this is this is, it, this is the way this. I see it is that these people <laughs> these people discovered that there is an intellectual contagion coming of things that are very wrong and will destroy society and even worse will damn your neighbor's souls to eternal torment forever and this could not be allowed to happen and that led to a lot of strife and we eventually fixed that but uh, what is your alternate reading? Okay, um, it is basically the printing press enabled the Reformation. Uh, which was not, it was to some extent, you know, new ideas coming in. But to a greater extent, it was a challenge to the existing institutions, right? It was giving voice to people who previously wouldn't have had a voice and who now were able to challenge the institutions that, that were around them, which in large part was the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And the historical parallel then is these existing institutions of old media, right, are being challenged by new media who can now, through social media, call them out on their shit. <laughs> um, that, that is how a lot of the people who are, no one's defending the Twitter mobs. Mm -hmm. Some people are defending the concept of cancellation um, in different forms, but, right? Most people won't defend, like, I don't know, well, whether, doxing someone. Whether you s but, yeah. But but it's it's basically like, you know, someone is sexist, right? Mm -hmm. And in the past, they would have just gotten away with that, right? The existing power structures were sufficient to allow all that behavior to happen, right? Um, but then this, this freedom of information comes along, and suddenly a lot more people are able to have a voice. They're able to start talking, and they can start fighting back against these institutions that have victimized them or have been like the cause of their problems like if there's a sexist workplace now all that stuff can can kind of come out into the open and that's the analog to the reformation and the invention of the printing press. well i think that's my alternate no that's my alternate take i, I think that's actually a very good take but i think it's compatible because a lot of the killing after the initial reformation was uh sects fighting each other over who has the correct interpretation who has the right dogma and it wasn't i mean the church was also a big part of it they had their inquisitions and all but much of the murder in europe was between uh smaller local groups and that is also analogous to how much of the fighting nowadays is between smaller groups who are more alike with each other than they are with the old media and they often work more on tearing each other down than on fighting against the old media dinosaurs oh yeah yeah it's a uh, i definitely believe the left will eat itself yeah. <laughs> uh especially i mean it it happens on the right 
um, especially with the rise of, of Trump, because just, I don't know, they, yeah. they cannot keep together an administration. I mean, on the plan, people, people just get thrown under the bus at a moment's notice. I, I don't know. But I, de- I definitely do see it a lot. And um, with cancellation specifically, the people most affected by it are people on the left, right? I, I mean, I don't know. My most notable examples are on the left because that is the side I'm on and the people I'm familiar with. I don't know. Maybe it happens on the right, too, and I just am not in those circles. Well, structurally, I mean, uh, there are a lot of people um, who are, like, internet personalities or new media personalities and they make their money through patreon or youtube or whatever other monetization schemes there are and if the left is going to cancel someone the only people they have the power to cancel are the people who they are funding to some extent right no they can attack anyone's Um, employer too they, they well they can attack your employer too but how much your employer you know knows or cares about that is is kind of contingent on you like actually being in their camp hmm to some extent it depends it depends on what the specific accusations are or you know what behavior is right, right. companies so on the left aren't going to care if the mob on the right attacks them and companies on the right aren't going to care if the mob on the left attacks them it's only when your I, actual demographic attacks you that it's an issue yeah and i mean most companies aren't you know on the left or right at all they just they just want to make money yeah <laughs> there, there are very few companies that are that are that have such a strong ideological bent that they'll let that get in the way of of their market. Um, I mean, the, your market to, to an extent dictates what you have to do as a company, but um, yeah, it, it, it has been, it's one of the things that a lot of people say, especially on the left about cancel culture is that it, it primarily will affect people who like you are a consumer of, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so the only people that you can have any impact on, like I'm, the only people you can have any impact on are people who you are supporting in some way, um, unless you want to go specifically after their employer. And that's kind of sketchy history of actually working because a lot of employers just, a lot of employers just don't care. And like, if they're public facing, it's a lot different than if they're, you know. I think, I think like that used to be the case. And that's why I wasn't worried and didn't really say anything before. But over the past few years, it seems to be more and more the case that employers will uh, drop someone for any sort of uh, mob that comes for them. And that is one of the reasons that I am more worried now. And I actually do support things like the Harper letter. Yeah. It, it depends on what the mob is coming for you for. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there, there's a strong pressure on companies to not do their own in due process. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely a problem, right? The, the companies, they, they just love money. And uh, if they're, it's going to lose the money to hold on to an employee, they'll drop the employee, and it won't matter if the accusations turn out to be baseless. And that's a bad um, thing, and we should yeah, take a stand against a that. Thing. Well, I mean, I, I want to take a stand against it. To me, taking a stand against it means going after Twitter itself, right? Okay, yeah. Like, I mean, cause it's, I, I, I don't, agree I don't Twitter think must be, be destroyed. I, I, well, it's not even that Twitter needs to be destroyed. I think that Twitter could do more in terms of like algorithms in terms of like trying to track trends and and like the mob can form so quickly and it does this little telephone game of of information and spreading information misinformation i i don't know it's 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 a structural problem not just for twitter for you know most social media um and to some extent even you know 
the so-called old media, you know, the old, old media has always sucked at it. Like they've, they've always gone for things that are a little more inflammatory, right? They've, they've always wanted to get people to buy their papers and in order to um, stoke the flames. The only thing that has kept old media at bay for the most part is defamation and the risk of having a suit brought against you. Um, but we, you know, we have strong, uh, strong laws in terms of defamation, and it's usually pretty hard to go after the press, which is not the case in some other countries. Hey, it's not really so clear I, to I, me what you guys' crux is. Like, I mean, the, the Twitter mob example is too easy to be like the, like a, a core intuition pump here. Um, like it, it sounds like I, you know, I'm the, the Harper letter, Harper's letter, excuse me, doesn't seem to like, I mean, yes, a handful of intellectuals can take a, com- a public commitment to saying this is bad and we'll, we, we won't uh, like make the choice of, you know, of this, whatever, the false choice between justice and freedom. Um, like that, that doesn't seem like a solution. Um, you know, it, like if you own a small business and uh, whatever, like, Twitter accuses one of your employees of, in 1983, writing a letter of what was then, I'm assuming, a fairly mainstream opinion. I'm thinking of that guy you mentioned that uh, said that women shouldn't be in combat or something. Yeah. Um, Like, I think 40 years ago, that was a pretty popular thought. And so, for whatever reason, you know, the, this guy got unlucky and somebody found that and, and whatever, doxed him with his employer or something. Like, uh, I mean, if you own the business and your town is saying, we'll refuse to shop here until you fire that guy, you're like, well, then I'm going out of business because I'm principled. Like, no one's going to do that. So, like, I, I, even if you sign this letter, you'd be like, well, I also have to feed my family and have health insurance or whatever. So, like, I, I don't see how that's a solution. I don't think that I, I'm, I'm strongly in favor of the ideals of it. And, I, and, like, as individuals, we should all make that choice. But, like... I guess what I'm getting at is I'm not sure, A, how that's a solution to any problem that's going on right now, and B, like, what is being proposed that you have a disagreement with, like, as far as solving the easy problem of Twitter mobs, or, like, or we can pivot to, like, a more general case. Well, so, um, and I'll, I'll let Alexander reply, too, but my my takeaway, uh, my major takeaway was that... Um, I mentioned this on the Mind Killers. I was so surprised that the Harper's letter was even controversial that I didn't mention it on uh, our episode when it first came out because I thought, how could anyone disagree with this? But the thing is, um, Europe went through a hundred years of war and murder over this conflict of ideas, and the solution they finally came up with was the liberal ideals, and uh, specifically the, in this case, the ideal of freedom of speech. That anyone can say anything as long as they uh, do not like do direct deliberate harm with it, uh, you let people say what they want. Argument gets counter argument. It never gets a bullet. And this is, I mean, it's kind of unintuitive to humans in general, but it is a social norm. It took, like I said, almost a century of killing to get to this point, but it becomes a thing that society upholds. It is a principle that people have to stand by even when it costs them personally. And it is how they solved this problem and now it seems to me like we some aspects of society have forgotten that or don't care and want to uh change things 
And I think it is very important to stay true to the ideal that you don't censor people, you don't try to silence them by uh, threatening them with violence or threatening their families or threatening their employment, and uh, you respect people's ability to speak even when what they're saying is bad and dangerous and will cause your children to go to hell um, or will possibly uh, endanger your children's health because that is still better than the alternative of 100 years of warfare. Um, and that is what I basically saw the Harper's letter as saying, that, hey guys, freedom of speech, remember this thing? It's a great thing. Let's all remember that it stays in place only due to principled people still holding to that and the social pressure to conform to that. And I was shocked when such a vast number of people were like, this letter is bullshit and terrible, and how dare people sign on to it? Well, okay. So, And I know you didn't personally say that. Some people did. You were much more yes. moderate, so I'm sorry I did not intend to paint I, you. I'm much more moderate, yeah. but I guess the way I see it is, let's say that you are trans, right? Mm -hmm. And you see J.K. Rowling, who has an enormous audience, uh, and whose audience is not really because she has great ideas. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, great, great political ideas. Yeah. Certainly. No, no one is following. Okay. I'm sure some people are, <laughs> but for the most part, people follow JK Rowling on Twitter because she wrote a bunch of books that were important to their childhood yeah. or whatever. Right. Uh, and they want to keep up on Harry Potter stuff. And so JK Rowling gets on platform or gets on Twitter and she uses her platform to say things like, you know, uh, Oh, well, I'm trying to not misquote her, but... Um, One of the she... really bad ones that I think she should apologize for was when she said that uh, the movement gives cover for violent uh, predators. Yeah, well, J.K. Rowling's position is, is you know, basically that uh, trans women are not real women. They are predators who, you know, are invading women's spaces and trans men don't exist and uh transition is basically conversion therapy and uh, a bunch of stuff like that i don't think that's I a think, fair I think, way to point out her position but she's definitely trending in that direction well she, she she did say specifically that transition was a form of conversion therapy that one i know she okay. said um i mean you can certainly fact check me after I'm not gonna... I, I do i do remember something about conversion therapy in the post i don't remember the details right now but yeah we can trust yeah. that no one will actually put in a legwork to fact check anybody because of the era we live in <laughs> yes um but I, I i do for myself try to hold to the truth as closely as possible yeah. i'm pretty sure that that is it is a slightly uncharitable and it puts all that stuff that was kind of spread out and tiptoed around in one place but um let's say you're a trans person and you see that I think that you, your first instinct might to be might be to say, okay, well, she can say that, and freedom of speech, and that's great. And then you think about whether that's going to like change anyone's mind. And you don't have the platform that J.K. Rowling does, mm -hmm. right? J.K. Rowling has so many. I, I I don't I don't have the numbers, but she has a lot of followers, right? And that is going to go out to everyone. And even if you reply to her in a tweet, maybe she'll block you. Maybe just no one sees it, yeah. right? And if it changes people's mind, then it's going to change, you know, their perception of you personally. It's going to cause ac real actual harm to you, uh, especially if those people start, you know, voting for people who are going to start taking away your uh, your medicine that you need for transition 
or that are going to restrict what services are available to you from the state. Um, and you look at that and you're like, well, why, you know, I, I'm, am I going to selflessly give up aspects of my life? Am I going to allow this harm caused to me by this speech that has like actual real consequences in the real world, right? Or am I going to just sit there and stand by free speech? And for me, it's the same thing with the anti-vax stuff, right? It's like, I, you know, if it were just speech, I'd be fine with it. But it's not just speech. It's people vaccinating their kids. And my son possibly getting a, a disease because of that speech. And I think that applies to a lot of these things. A lot of these things that where people are upset about what others have said and why, you know, cancellation is basically the only recourse if you think that talking isn't going to work. And talking, obviously, cancellation feels good for those people, right? I've never canceled anyone, but I, I imagine that it probably feels good to just be like, hey, fuck that guy for all the stuff that he said that is, is going to do, you know, is going to negatively impact me. He hates me. And, you know, uh, cancellation probably feels good. I think it's also easier than dialogue, uh, which is what attracts people to it. But when, when people are kind of iffy on free speech or the totality of free speech, I think that's where they're coming from. I think they're thinking about in the real world. I think especially for LGBT people, that's um, they're thinking about how things used to be, where uh, like it used to be that there would be, be people who would hang out outside gay nightclubs with their cameras and they would take covert pictures of people coming out of these nightclubs and then they would send it to these people's employers, you know? And now to be asked, um, to, to be asked to, to show leniency and understanding to these people who showed you no leniency and understanding who and I, I we, we've said that you know free speech has done fairly well I, it's got a checkered history you know mccarthyism definitely happened uh um there have been a lot of instances of 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 people um acting out against employers that like cancel culture not only is it not just the left it's it's also not new it's been going on for a long time that that people's jobs have been lost for things that they said it's just now so many people have yeah it was their history discoverable that that it's getting to be a bigger problem it was galileo always, got canceled yeah but it was <laughs> always a bad thing the whole time it was happening yeah no it, 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 was, it becoming, was always a, a bad yeah, thing it yeah. didn't start becoming good now just because the targets are the quote-unquote right targets no no i i think i just think that a lot of people who argue a lot of the argument that is made is made from a position of why would we not use these tools right i i think uh, saying well, you know we got to be better than our enemies is is true would, but I, well yeah that I'm, okay thank you I, I i would like to say the reason that we don't want to use these tools is like first of all I, I i do still think you're the that jk rowling was slightly misrepresented to you like she didn't say uh from my recollection that trans people are predators uh the thing she said was that the movement gives cover to predators which is a slightly different thing. It's still bad. Like I said, this is something I think she should apologize for because it's it's just not the case. And it is highly inflammatory and, like you said, could hurt people. Um, but my, my problem isn't with people necessarily saying J.K. Rowling is awful. It's the fact that uh, if J.K. Rowling signed the Harper's letter, uh, now no one else can sign the Harper's letter or they are in in jeopardy of being canceled uh it is 
it is that sort of thing. Like, I, I know I've made this example before, but if Hitler himself signed the Harper's letter, I still think the Harper's letter uh, principles are correct and true. And I would still sign it, even though I am not for the extermination of Jews at all <laughs> or any other minority group. Uh, and that's the sort of thing you see. People don't have the power to cancel J.K. Rowling directly, so they go after anyone who could be uh, slightly associated with her to create a culture of fear uh, so that no one dares say anything that might be construed as remotely positive of Rowling or um, or, or to be supporting something that Rowling might also support. It is, it's like a really horrible, chilling, terrorizing effect to, to have these people out there ready to cancel anyone who might have uh, been near someone who said something that is, uh, that is cancelable. I, I think most recently, I, I love uh, Natalie Wynn. I watch all the ContraPoints videos as they come out. Not always the same day they come out because they're fucking long, but <laughs> usually within a week or so. And um, she got canceled not too long ago because she had Buck Angel as a voice actor to uh, read one line for her. And Buck Angel is a trans man, a porn star, as like 40-ish years old now, super... Uh, super active in the gay community and the trans community over his years, fighting for gay and trans rights. And uh, Buck Angel is currently canceled because he has some opinions about the trans, uh, trans trenders, as uh, they are sometimes referred to, uh, the idea that some people are transitioning, not because they're genuinely uh, gender dysphoric, but more because it's a status move and all their friends are doing it and whatever. I don't know. I don't really have an opinion on that. But Buck Angel, huge guy, huge in the uh, gay and trans rights uh, community, got canceled. And then uh, Natalie Wynn, trans woman, had him do a voice for her, like one line voice, um, because he was such a big figure in the trans rights community. And now she was canceled for having that association with him. And it's it's this sort of thing that I think is not just lunacy, but like outright dangerous that makes everyone terrified to say anything or to be associated with anyone who might have ever said anything. Um, I think to some extent, it's kind of like, the, it's kind of like the war on terror, where terrorism was not, you forgive me for saying this, terrorism was not a big deal, right? Right. It didn't actually kill that many people. And now there's like this culture of fear and the culture of fear is worse than the actual thing that happened. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't know. Also, ContraPoints has been canceled like three or four times. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of people, you know, um, Peter Coffin is is an, a YouTuber and is not as big, but he's he's talked about, you know, he's he's been canceled like you know six or seven times, and it's it's tough to deal with the tr the harassment that you get first for just saying what you thought, and it's like, come on, we're on like nominally the same side why are you even doing this it's not gonna change my mind it's just gonna like it's just gonna piss me off and like cancellation doesn't help anyone right can i get it's, it's not get a, a definition then of what it means to be canceled like if, if jk rowling's canceled like she still has twitter her books are still available um if this one person this youtuber has been canceled four times like what does it even mean <laughs> right that's that's the other problem is basically it, it just means that people are in some sense, the, the the soft version is basically just a boycott, right? 
you are declaring that you are boycotting someone because you don't agree with the things they said and you don't want to financially support them. And that would be fine. Uh, the, the hard version of canceling is going after, um, going after a person's, well, it's, it's difficult because boycotting is going after someone's employment in a sense. Um, it's just a matter of like intent then, right? Um, but yeah, go, going after, going to someone's employer and saying, hey, you got fired this guy or going to advertisers and saying, hey, if you don't, you know, drop this your sponsorship of this person, I'm not going to buy any more stuff, right? That's usually what it is. Sometimes it goes further to, uh, oh, man. Like when, I don't, when it's really I, bad is when anyone who is associated with you starts to get boycotted and get the same employer harassment and those things. Like, it is, it is yeah. at its worst, it is the uh, um, attempt to make someone socially toxic so everyone else will have to cut them out of their lives or suffer the same fate as well. Yeah, and usually that does not work. That that Usually that is not... Like, you have to be, I don't know, uh, the, the fact that a lot of people get canceled so many times and it just never sticks, and J.K. Rowling can't, can't be canceled, uh, right? But it still puts... People are making attempts. It still puts but, all that person's friends, like, through a lot of stress. Like, your life gets well, yeah, bad for... I'm, I'm not arguing that... <laughs> I'm not arguing that these tactics are, they're, are good. Yeah. But, I don't know. It's... I, I at times feel like it's overblown because... So many people just get canceled and then are fine. The The real danger is if you are very, very small. Yeah. And, and but that's like public shaming, right? Well, but that's the, not... the problem is like the powerful never have, the rich and the powerful never have that huge of a problem because they're already rich and powerful. The problem is like uh, when, um, when Andrew Sullivan gets, uh, gets kicked off of, oh uh, God, with the New York Magazine, was it? Or the New Yorker? I, I, don't remember the exact name right now he's gonna be fine he's already rich he's already famous he has book deals it's all the people in their early to mid-20s who are working there they just started their careers they're trying to make it big in journalism which is already a dying industry that it's really hard to make it in and they see this thing happen and they just shut the fuck up if they have any opinions that aren't towing the uh the orthodoxy of whoever is leading the cancel mobs and that i think is genuinely harmful I don't even think that the cancel mobs necessarily have an orthodoxy. I think they're just. I, I, I think there's I think something just you off. can absolutely say is orthodoxy that uh, cis white people are fair game for anything. Um, that uh, trans people and uh, racial minorities are are what's the term here? They they to be protected is not the right term. They're almost fetishized. Um. Yeah, I I mostly just think that the mob is not like an intelligent thing. Yeah, but but the it's mob just, knows what's going. A lot of the, a lot of the pylon is not like is not like ooh that's like you know we're we're making a principled stand here. No. It's principle. It feels like a principled stand. It feels good to attack people. But um, the mob has an intuitive sense of who they can uh, victimize next, and if you watch them, you can tell you know some of the signs. Well, I mean, the mob puts out feelers, yeah. right? It's uh, if if they're fl- if they're a flock of birds, you have some birds that fly like at the edge of the flock and then get brought back in because it didn't work. <laughs> um, I I just I I think a lot of it is needs to be analyzed in in terms of of how mobs function and how mobs dispense justice, right? Like 
And I don't, I don't think, I, I think, yeah, there's, there, there's usually some ideological underpinning at some point, but most of it is just like three minutes hate or whatever. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just that gathering of hatred toward what may or may not be an acceptable target. Yeah, and, by the next and it's day. not actually about, it's not actually about the, the object level thing so much as it is about the emotional feeling. Right. I do have, um, I'm sorry, I was just going to say that I, I appreciated that, uh, Alexander, you gave me, I've been looking around for a while for like, what is meant by the word harm in cases where like that tweet harms people. Um, and like, you know, the intuitive sense of harm is, you know, swinging a fist at somebody and the, the, the layout you gave of, uh, the, you know, rolling tweet storm was the first articulate example that actually drove the point home for me. So thanks for that. I just, I, I had the thought immediately after you said it, forgot it, then I remembered it again. And I just like, I knew I was going to let it slip if I didn't get it out. So, so I, I guess now we you seem to be, or at least I sort of feel like I'm just talking about like, er, the kids and they're canceling these days. And I don't want to be that guy. I just, I am very much in favor of a freedom of speech, even if it has some harmful effects, because I think on net it's good. And that was the main thing I guess well, I came to say, because you seem to be more about censorship is good and justified sometimes. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to kind of drive us back to was like, I don't think anyone here loves Twitter mobs. Like, and no one here really loves cancel culture to the extent that it's an actual problem that actually affects people. Like, no, I, I don't, I mean, I don't want to put words in either of your mouths, but I think that no one's on here saying, yes, uh, that guy who wrote that, you know, thing in 1983 should have been fired. Like, none of us are that. So, like, I was, I was more interested in, like, what proposed solutions we would have uh, to solve, like, misinformation problems and there was an interesting you know the the thing you sent over earlier about um uh you know truth maybe not being the best weapon here i i thought that was really interesting and if we have time i definitely want to hit that yeah i I guess i guess for me yeah i mean everyone um, finish up the thoughts they were having on this i don't want to like say all right conversation over but i i I don't know how like (laughs) that you'll find a resolution i i don't think there is really resolution to this I, because it's it's a difficult problem. I just I think that I mean we have limits on free speech already, right? We have some degree of censorship already. It's just a question of degree and in in what circumstances it's appropriate, right? I mean, I I, I know a lot of um, free speech absolutists. Uh, I they're very common online. Who but. Um, my experience being a moderator for communities is that you just, there's a lot of stuff that you just you can allow some amount of disutility to happen if you just do absolutist free speech because a lot of people will just will just come in and 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 be a net negative on your community yeah. and there's certain elements of speech that can be a net negative on a community and um, it is. It's a problem that ha- can have different solutions to it. And I do think due process is, you know, good and a thing to be strived for. I just, I don't think you can really, it, it's hard. It, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a legislative framework that you could introduce that for, for what's essentially a social problem. Yeah, well, I think a lot right, of it is, is measuring the, the cost versus the benefits. Like, 
kicking someone off a of Discord does not have a lot of cost uh, to their personal lives. They're not going to lose their jobs or their families, whereas uh, going after their job may lose them their jobs. So it, it, their sin would have had to have been far greater to justify doing that sort of thing to someone. Like, why sure. would uh, Scott Alexander getting doxxed by the New York Times? There was no justification for that. Well, I mean, they had a justification. It just wasn't a very okay. good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, and, and that's not even... That wasn't even a case of... Presumably, that was not a case of, of them, like, attempting to cancel him. It was just... Yeah, presumably. Speaking yeah. of, his posts are back on his website as of a couple days ago. Yep, he's coming Hell back. Hell yeah. I think the New Yorker put out a piece on it, and then the New York Times piece is probably not going to run because of that. Yeah, I think we talked about the New Yorker piece... Uh, episode or two ago um all time is fuzzy now but I, we just hadn't mentioned that yet that ssc was back up and that's exciting um yeah like so it seems to me like one interim proposed like avenue to at least making things less shitty um i don't know what this would do to like fight the cancel mob but like i i mean i have a very like small amount of concern for that like not just because i'm too small of a target for anyone to give a shit about but um like it, it doesn't seem to work on a lot of big figures, and it doesn't go after a lot of small figures. So like, it's bad, but it's not like, uh, you know, as far as like where I can I direct my effort. Like before we started talking, we were talking about effective altruism, right? Like effective effort here. Um, I don't feel like the best use of my time is fighting cancel culture because it's not like the world's biggest problem, but like misinformation is. You know, like on the subject, it's not the biggest problem, but it's a bigger problem. And so like, you know, if if Twitter had uh, smarter bots that flagged more content and they're like, hey, we noticed you put out a tweet about uh, the aggression or the violent aggression rates of trans women or something. Here are the actual statistics on that. And it had that same sort of badge that it has for Trump tweeting about Kung Flu, right? Um, like, I, yeah, that, that sounds like a not bad thing to do. It's not censorship. You know, the tweet stays up. Um, it's... Uh, to be a thousand percent clear again, because you don't know me very well, Alexander, I don't call it Kung Flu. I was making fun of the president. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, like, I, I think that that might be the way to go there. Um, like, I not not to let anyone, I guess not to just force the conversation there. But like, as far as fighting misinformation, it doesn't seem like truth has the stopping power that we'd like it to have, at least not in the medium term. Like, I don't have current numbers on anti-vaxxers, although I do have approximate estimations on the number of kids getting, you know, measles and shit, which is more than it was 10 years ago when I last looked into this sort of thing. So I'm guessing anti-vaxxing is at least as much, if not more of a problem than ever, despite the truth telling them, hey, you guys are wrong. And do you have like alternate proposals for how to deal with general misinformation? Uh, or am I pivoting us way too hard? Me or Alex? Or uh, me Alex, because... Uh, Alexander, no, just because I, it was in the like an email talking about how like you had said that you know truth might offer an asymmetry, but the bigger asymmetries are on the side of lies, which can maximize for emotional impact far better than the truth can, and like that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the anti-vax stuff, especially, is um, a lot of the a lot of its emotional appeal, uh, especially for especially for autism. There. People want to have an explanation for why their kid is autistic and they want it to be someone's fault. You know, that that's one of the things that's very appealing about the anti-vax anti stuff from an emotional standpoint, right? Obviously not true, but 
that that's where it's come from. As far as remedies go, the government is very, very uh, slow. Um, I, I wouldn't want a government solution for for any of these problems, basically. I think these are all structural problems, right? Cancel culture is a, a structural problem. The mob is created by the structure that the mob sits within. Um, and, you know, to some extent, human nature, right? It's, it's humans driving that. It, it's human nature driving it rather than humans themselves. And the misinformation stuff is also, to my mind, structural. It's, um, it is a society that has sort of blurred the line between information and entertainment and promoted a lot of people who just basically don't care about the truth whatsoever. Um, Oprah being one of them, right? And have no consequences whatsoever for spreading information. Um, and the, the solution for structural problems has to be a structural solution, right? You need to change the underlying issues. Um, I, I, most of it is just, most of it is just capitalism, honestly. It is, is inherent problems to capitalism that have sort of run away and... I'm not saying socialism is the answer, but, um, you know, what do you, do you have like vague outline ideas of possible solutions? I, I mean, you can, you can increase the laws. You can make defamation laws more strict or with, um, higher degrees of liability. Like I said, uh, the United States is, uh, among the countries with the weakest defamation laws, um, in the world. So like, uh, the, the standards for defamation are extremely high, especially if you're a public figure, right? And a lot of the problem with uh, these Twitter mobs is that they're just spreading lies, right? Um, and there, there's no consequence whatsoever, right? I could I could lie about someone on Twitter, and Twitter's, first of all, not going to do anything about it. Uh, partly for a lot of these platforms, it's because uh, doing anything about it would require artificial intelligence of some kind, Um like what probably a week one to, to go look through and just be like, Hey, that's actually not true. And like, we know it's not true and it's not like a corner case. It's not like a matter of arguing opinion. It's just, it's just false. Um, it's a hoax or, or whatever, or it's a misquote. Um, the problem from a lot of these social media platforms is that they, to do any kind of fact checking at all, uh, is so burdensome that they would not be able to stay in business. Um, at the moment, right? So you could have technological solutions to this where the open discourse would still happen. There would be no censorship whatsoever, right? Or only to a marginal extent, but um, the open discourse would still happen. It's just that you would have artificial intelligence that was arguing for, uh, arguing on the side of truth, right? To, to keep truth at least somewhat in the mix, instead of just an echo chamber of, of misinformation and lies. Um, the problem is, if you can do that, then you can set up the opposite, right? Uh, you could set up bots that will argue any position, which I think is um, a more substantial danger than censorship, personally. But, like, um, other proposed solutions, I, I think that the platforms can do more in terms of at least slowing the velocity of the mob. Like if you can see, if you can see the mob forming and make some effort to disperse it or make some effort to protect against it, uh, a lot of it's just gonna come in the form of norms. And I think a lot of those norms are gonna be 
in terms of people protecting their own identity more. Like, I can't imagine starting out on the internet today as opposed to, uh, like, late 90s when I first got on the internet and maintaining a persistent identity like I have now that where, like, doxing me is not, you know, not even remotely difficult. But I also live my life not putting anything on the internet that I wouldn't want read in court. So I, I think that that kind of norm is going to probably come up a lot more, and I, I think that that's a chilling effect of... <sighs> a chilling effect of the cancel mobs, right? Um, I would hope that, to some extent, people will start changing their own behaviors to prevent misinformation, but I, I, I think that has to start with better education and better critical thinking and I, I i just don't know how you how you get that to happen because it feels like we've been on a backwards track at least in america for the last couple decades i i actually strongly agree with you on on the the whole better education kind of thing the, the whole raising the sanity waterline thing would solve so many problems yeah it's just hard to do it, it's hard to do yeah i i i don't know i i think automated tools are probably going to come around i know twitter's been doing twitter's been doing a lot more to try to do its part to not be a toxic cesspit um they don't do enough but but they've they've been they've been starting to try um google's been starting to try starting to to just be like okay we we do have some responsibility for our algorithm uh and to not just put out an algorithm that that will push people in whatever direction will will get the most engagement Right, I think that's that's one of the things that that a lot of social media companies have been doing that's been incredibly toxic. Um, yeah, it's promoting engagement. They, they, they built these. Yeah, they, well, they built these algorithms, and then it was just sort of the unintended consequences of, of yeah, that. Because the most engaging that, thing that, is the thing that outrages you and sends you on a <laughs> on a crazy rant. The most engaging yeah, thing is to, getting triggered. Yeah, um, and and a lot of it is just you know these seductive lies being told that that you are special and the only reason you didn't make it or the only reason you don't have a perfectly fulfilling life is that someone took it away from you and you know how dare they i think that for a lot of people especially maybe not necessarily my age but younger um growing up in the world that they're growing up into uh a lot of that there's a lot of attempt to take this disillusionment and turn it into um, an oppression fantasy, yeah. in some sense. If something's not fair, I, it's uh, it's somebody's fault. Yeah, if something's not fair, it's somebody's fault, and y- you know, this this is this is not about you. This is you've you've been wronged, and it's you should hate people because that's you know, it and and then it feels good to hate people. Mm-hmm. I know some people don't feel that way. Like I've gotten pushback on that. When I say, it, like, sometimes it feels good to just so as, feel that as hate. As someone who is very, very much into revenge fiction, hate can feel awesome. Especially yeah. when you get to, you know, see that hate fulfilled by having the, the objects, the, the people that wronged you destroyed for it. So, I, yeah. I mean, so, like, anyone who, who says that uh, hate doesn't feel good, I mean, like... I, I don't have hate in my real life. I don't have the I I'm I'm the kind of person who doesn't have the the want or temperament for that. But uh <laughs> I mean, if anyone says, "Oh no, that's a terrible thing." They've never seen and enjoyed John Wick. Exactly. Right? Not like, to generalize hate... from fictional evidence, but you no, want no, to I mean, see I, people but, but you... who killed his dog die. 
Exactly. So this isn't generalizing like truth from fictional evidence. This is just generalizing like an emotion mm-hmm. or not generalizing. This is internalizing. Yeah. This is synthesizing an emotion that you don't have to go through it yourself. But like the only thing that makes his dog being murdered in the beginning of that movie. Okay. Is how many people die because of it. Yes. Right. Yeah. And like that feels great. Um, it's uh, yeah. I, I uh, that was my sidebar there just to <laughs> yeah. relate that. I, I, yeah, so I think I think that the algorithms cause a lot of this problem, and then the base structures, aside from the algorithms, also cause a lot of these problems, and that changing the platforms would help a lot with with various different aspects of of these structural problems, um, which includes Twitter mobs and includes just disinformation campaigns and um, real harm that's being done to people. Uh, the problem is. Do you think it it depends? I think in to to some extent on altruism. Yeah, right? I was I was about to say. Do you think that principles can count as a structural change, like a a principle to uh, to not um, attack someone's family? I I mean I want to say even the mob. Uh, I don't know if this is actually true. If this is just Hollywood uh, stuff that I've seen in movies, but even the mob has rules against attacking the family members of people in in rival gangs, right? Like, there are some principles that we can hold each other to, and if that was really codified deep into uh, a society's cultural DNA, that is, is that not a systemic change, or are you talking specifically about uh, No, I, th- I think it can be. No, I, th- I think it can be. I think it's just way, way more difficult. Um, I, I guess the way I see it is that there's this meme of not attacking... <laughs> Or this norm that you need to install, and I, if if it were easy to install norms into a society that's like already running and doing its own thing, I think you'd see that a lot more. And I think historically, when new ideas and new norms have been installed into society, it's been always accompanied by, uh, by bloodshed of one kind or another, right? Like, uh, I just I think about revolutions and how rare it is to get one that's even relatively bloodless um i don't know i think this i think this is one of the reasons i feel strongly about some of the principles needing to be stuck to because they are hard to both instill and uh to keep around afterwards but it's much harder to instill them in the first place so i don't want to see them destroyed and and so i worry maybe over much like maybe some some level of of greater change is needed yeah i i don't know i don't have i don't have a good answer to that i from my perspective i'm 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 worried about a lot of the same things i'm worried about a destruction of norms i just and god talking about destruction of norms if the last four years haven't been just a bloodbath of norms (laughs) right that most of my worry about the destruction of norms comes from the right rather than the left uh and i think a lot of you know a lot of when, when we talk about Harper's letter uh, seems to me to be directed at the left, specifically because a lot of it seems like it's a, a defense of um, of some people who are and in institutions that are just being protected because they've been there. I guess I don't know. I, I I see a lot of the a lot of the cancel culture. I I am sympathetic to it as as coming out of this place of people who have not previously been able to um, air their grievances. Or who have been able to air their grievances, but just no one listens and nothing happens, you know? Um, like the Me Too stuff, I think that's 
on balance been good. I think a lot of people got caught up in that that did not deserve yeah, it. It and started in a good place. It started in a good place, and I think, you know, Bill Cosby overall, got canceled. Right? Yeah, he, he, like, he did get canceled. And I mean, I, I think that's, that's by one canceled, that. Do you mean sent to jail for rape? Yeah. <laughs> well, but, I mean. Like, this might not have happened without the mob. Find, like, this was, like, his, his misconduct, if you want to call it that, was an open secret for, if not decades, at least years before fuck all got done about it. And it wasn't until this thing sort of took off online that enough traction got underneath it to finally bring this down, right? Yeah. And I think that's been that's been a way for a lot of a lot of these cases. And I think people do get they get overzealous and then they, they enjoy taking down powerful people who need to be taken down and then they keep looking for targets. I think that is that has been the case for every movement ever that they yeah. you know it, it is a very rare movement that has accomplished their goal and then just shut down and said, hey, we did our part. Yeah. <laughs> you you know? start with Louis yeah. Fourteen um, and you keep going until you get to you. To, yeah. to, to make it perfectly clear, I wasn't like endorsing cancel culture. I was just bringing up like a... Yeah, I, uh, no. the, I always like finding just like the contrary example of like, well, look, here's, here's a good outcome of it. Yeah. Um, and Harvey Weinstein but, deserved that shit like a motherfucker. Right. Yeah. And, and this... Yeah, no, there, there are a lot of people who, you know... A lot of it, it had to be in the part, court of public opinion because the, I mean, the actual courts take more than, you know, four witnesses, right, of of separate events that are that are years apart. Like to, to actually know, I mean, the, the standards of proof in court are higher, and I think especially for public opinion, they should be a little lower. I don't think they should be so low as they are now, but I I don't know. I think I think having a reckoning for some of these people has been a a good thing and i think to some extent when you have people like jk rowling who who are are talking shit basically i think it'd be good for it to be the norm to just at least have a little bit more empathy for other people than she has shown yeah, you know and and that that is my ideal outcome i don't think that's a real outcome i think a lot of people are just going to be quiet when they think things and I don't know. Maybe that maybe that some good will come out of that of of people just like not saying their bigoted stuff that they think like that might be good for uh for that to be the norm. Um Can... but but it's hard it's hard to 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 not see that chilling effect on speech and be a little worried. Yeah. I I think I think I do agree with that. I I think I see that and agree with it. But I I don't know. At the same time it's just like I'm so glad that I'm white. I'm so glad that I'm male. That I've never had to deal with, like, I've never had to de- deal with like going down the street and have a cop see me, and I get like, yeah, anxious or defensive because you know I don't know what might happen. That's never been a concern of mine, right? Um, a decent I, way I to know. simulate that I... might be to be like deliberately breaking the law, like seriously <laughs> walk walk down the street with. Uh, a Ziploc bag full of cocaine in your pocket. Holy shit. And uh, then, then like, again, you're not doing anything. But then you see a cop car drive by, and that panic you get might actually simulate what it's like to not have the luxury of being pretty sure the cops won't bug you. Um, I mean, I guess you still have the, the low prior factor of, like, well, they're not going to stop you because you're white and stuff. But, uh, like, the, the fact, yeah. like, just what you said, just, uh, like, if you're on the wrong side of the law... Uh, whether because you're committing committing a crime or because the law hates you for no good reason, um, they can both kind of get that that sense of panic. I had this last thought I wanted to say about the 
you know, the, the mob kind of continuing going. Um, and, you know, in, this, in the cases of like Weinstein and Cosby, the mob, we don't call it the mob because they did the right thing. Um, but we were talking about like some like hate feels good. I think some people and, you know, you mentioned every revolution just keeps going like those people who enjoyed the the fight, if you want to call it that. Um, and they're they will they will keep finding targets because they love that so much. Right. I just yeah. thought that that callback is the only thing I could find to say that I I think my uh, my contributions are waning, even though they weren't that strong to begin with. <laughs> Well, uh, the one thing I do want to bring it back to is um, that less wrong post, which was uh, making history available, right? I was thinking about that a lot in the context of, like, race and gender. And I I, I don't think it's how he meant it, but when people say, check your privilege, <laughs> um, like, there's a lot of that sentiment in that post where he's talking about just, like, think about what it would feel like to have actually been, like, you know living under Jim Crow, right? Or, I don't know. I, I think about that a lot in the context of, especially the cancel culture type stuff as far as... Because I, I don't know, I none of it really affects me very much. I don't have any skin in the game. Um, I make money through writing, which makes me more... At the same time, more and less susceptible to ever being canceled. But, like, that's not my core audience <laughs> of the people who are going to, like... Oh man, he said something that was politically unorthodox. I, I don't. That's not really the audience that I have. But I, I, I try to. I try to think about about what it feels like to kind of live in one of these work cultures that is toxic, and it's a bunch of little things, and they just build up over time, and you can't really assemble evidence unless you want to start making a spreadsheet of every single time that you felt demeaned, and no one actually does that because it's not. It's, that would be kind of self-toxic, right? right? Do you, that, that would be dwelling on the, all of the bad shit. and Some people do that, yeah, but and it some, sucks. Yeah, and, and well, so, some of it you don't even know, right? You don't know whether it was a comment about about your gender or about your race or, or anything like that. You don't know if it, if it actually was intended as that or if you're reading into it or right. whatever. And then I, I, and I also do think, you know, that fear of... Oh man, I said some stuff that I realize now is wrong, but I'm not going to get any clemency for it. I'm, no one's going to. I'm going to have to weather the storm of public shame for something I don't even agree with anymore. You know. Yeah. Hey. Although a lot of a lot of the people, uh, like Kevin Hart, got canceled, in the sense that he's makes millions of dollars and it's still a, a well-known comedian. He got quote unquote canceled, right? Um, I'm not familiar with Kevin Hart. But, what happened? He made a joke. Oh, man. He made a joke uh, that was basically he would kill his son if his son was <laughs> So I, I laughed already because I'm assuming he did not mean this seriously, right? Okay, okay. Um, like, it's a Louis C.K. kind see, of thing, right? Uh, let me see if I can find the tweet. Um, no, I can't, I can't find it. But it, it, was, it was basically a joke, but it wasn't like... It was. It fell very flat, and it was a very uh, dicey subject for a fall flat joke. It was like the woman who said yeah. that she wasn't going to get AIDS in Africa, right? Yeah, um, which was a funny story because she was like, she like made that, she made that tweet, and then like got on an airplane and missed the whole Twitter storm. Yeah, and then eight hours later, she finds out she doesn't have a job or any friends anymore when she lands. Yeah, 
Um, but yeah, Ke- Kevin Hart was was one of those examples where it was it was something about you know killing his gay son or something, and people were like, "Wow, it's not funny," and also super homophobic. Um, <laughs> and then he didn't apologize for it, uh, which made the whole thing kind of like, okay, so like this this isn't a thing where you're like where where you don't agree with it anymore you're just uh, people are being too sensitive and whatever um that ha- that happens a lot there's there's a book that's uh, i would recommend called so you've been publicly shamed i've heard of it um did, did you read it it's pretty yeah yeah it's uh it's pretty good it's pretty good it, it's quite old now i think i mean in in internet years right. but um it's about 16 months old <laughs> yeah um but it's it's sort of a a bunch of issues that well, I guess it's 2015 that's recent right but but a lot of it is is about the more general issues of of cancel culture and how people should respond to it if they want to weather the storm I think it's and I think oh go ahead sorry I think that one of the norms that I would like that I actually think can be changed is for people to understand the PR position of like how to deliver how to acknowledge that you're not a perfect person or whatever mm-hmm. you know because I think that's one of the things that actually does defuse the cancel mob. And I think after, probably after your fourth time trying to cancel ContraPoints, maybe you start to get the idea that it's not going to work and you should stop doing it. Has it really been that many I times? Think that, that, uh, I know I know of at least three. Uh, I'm fuzzy on the third. There, there was one where she had some tweet, a tweet that was like, uh, I, I, I don't even want to. Okay. It, it, right. okay. it was dumb gotcha. Twitter stuff. Right. Twitter. Twitter uh, is Twitter. The, as the Kevin it Hart is. thing. Yeah, the Kevin Hart thing was was beyond Twitter because it was, um, that was not just a Twitter mob because it was, uh, um, it extended into like old media as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, but yeah, it, there are a lot a lot of people who get canceled. Just they keep on going and they they are negatively affected in that they get a lot of harassment and maybe they lose some subscribers or some income or whatever. A lot of, a lot of the people who get canceled are are public facing, right? Like. As a software engineer, um, I did practically nothing that was public-facing, right? So the more public-facing you are, the more risk there is that someone will take issue with you, especially if you're a more extreme personality. But I, I don't know. That's kind of off track. So we've been going for almost two hours. Uh, actually, no, over two hours. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, and why I wanted to kind of bring it to an end, is there, like, final points, things that you would like to cover that we didn't get to or things you'd like to reply to no i'm fine I, my only point is that i'm a i'm a structuralist okay <laughs> i'm a structuralist and a consequentialist i think censor, censorship gets a bad rap all right Be, specifically because of the slippery slope which uh i don't know if it's actually that slippery okay that's that's that is my the sum the summary of my we didn't need to spend two hours on well i mean i had a good time though and i i not only did i enjoy talking to you i feel like it helped iron out a lot of things that i was confused about i feel like we are not as different in opinion as i thought we were uh before we started this i think we mostly agree on the problems and not necessarily the solutions i am i am much more on the side of you know we we shouldn't stop anyone talking but we should definitely start to put up some sort of structure for for people to oppose the, the the censorship and feel like they can do it without losing losing everything, I guess. 
embolden the employers because we're on the side of big business and landlords. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, as basically a listener to this episode, I had fun with it. So um, I think that like there is, there seems to be less daylight between your guys' positions than maybe it seems like you guys, when you're starting out, I do get, you know, I don't want to say, and now we all agree. Um, but yeah, like, you know, the problems are problems and the solution, the proposed solutions are myriad and, uh, I don't have anything else to say apparently. So (laughs) I, I really enjoyed, like I said, mostly listening to this and, uh, I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, so once again, at least for me, thanks Alexander for coming on and and doing this with us. Yeah, for sure. I had a good time. And everybody, you have just heard how um, intelligent and thoughtful and kind Alexander is. His fiction is the same way. It's really good stuff. If you like the kind of intelligent and kind of stuff, it's read his things. Specifically, right now, Worth the Candle is what is in progress. And if you're yep. somehow listening to this and haven't read uh, Metropolitan Man, which isn't a 1.3 million word investment, <laughs> um, I I think it's like the... It is my favorite points to example of like rationalist fiction. Um, not necessarily like my favorite work ever, but uh, it's definitely got to be top three rationalist fiction, probably top two, tied for first with methods of rationality. But it's my favorite to direct people towards because it's way more consumable. And, uh, you know, if, like a lot of yeah. people are turned off from methods because, uh, you know, they don't like Harry. You don't run into that problem with Lex Luthor. You're not supposed to love him as a person. You're supposed to love, like, oh my god, he is the best villain ever. And uh, the best villain ever is the one who has really good points. And I don't know if we mentioned this when you were on before, but basically your point was so good that they stole it for Batman versus Superman. Uh, or, oh, yeah. yeah, which was, uh, you know, his the whole thing with that where he 100% flip-flops his position for no reason by the by the second movie. Um he, he has a line the exact opposite of Lex Luthor's, which was stolen from your book, I'm convinced, uh, in the first one where he says, like, if there's a 1% chance that, you know, he will turn on the world, we need to take that. He, he says we need to take it as a certainty, which is not how Lex would have put it. But then in the second, in whatever, Dawn of Justice, he says, if there's 1% chance that this will work, we need to take it as a certainty or something. And I'm like, you're reversing your argument. There's a 99% chance you could unleash Dark Superman. Like, what, what are you doing? But any, well, I mean, the, the movies were a disaster. But my point is, they were good, and they were your book was good enough to inspire Hollywood movies, whether they'll admit it or not. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Metropolitan Man is actually like six or seven years old. It, it's astonishing to me to think that because mm-hmm. it seems like I don't know. It, it does not seem that old, but yeah, it it actually. When did Man of Steel come out? I think it might have. I think it might have preceded Man of Steel. Uh, yeah, in. Uh, internet years oh, same, same year oh, nice. same year in internet years though that's a really long time yeah, yeah. in the internet years that's that's very very long so yeah, if you would like a smaller easier to consume sample of alexander before you commit to something huge metropolitan man is great uh great sampler yep all right awesome. well thank you for joining us um oh we should thank our patron before we call it a night of course, we can't call it a night without thanking our patrons who keep the lights on around here and make this show possible. This show is, is responsible, or wait, is possible only because of listeners like you. And by you, I mean explicitly Mars Olivia. Thank you, Mars. You make this possible. You let us speak to Alexander Wales and broadcast it to everyone. So you, you have helped uh, have speech promulgate across the internet. Yes, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. 
the debate will continue because of your your contribution awesome well i think that's it then for this episode we'll see you guys back in a couple of weeks for more bayesian conspiracy okay thank you everyone for joining us and uh, thank you again alexander yep thanks thanks again one quick piece of listener feedback that i remembered just at the last minute uh a a person in the discord said that i should come with sources available if i am going to cite conspiracy theory type material in the podcast uh and what they were referring to was my statement that the CDC used really inflated numbers for flu deaths and it came around to bite them in the butt when COVID happened because people could say COVID was only twice as bad as the flu when they were using COVID actual deaths versus the flu maximum estimated number. And uh, I first of all want to say that I don't really think that's conspiracy theory stuff because it seems like a pretty... Um, normal claim for me to say that a a agency could use the highest end estimate of a death for you know purposes of the public good and then it comes around to bite them in the butt but um i admit i did not have them in front of me at the time the stu- the sources that i have were linked on our website thebasingconspiracy.com so people can go there to look them up if they want to they include uh, a letter from the assistant secretary of the u.s department of health and human services uh, which made this assertion uh, that the flu deaths were inflated at least five times higher than what they actually are and uh, also the journal for the american medical association so both uh, saying basically the same thing so both, you know, reputable sources that uh, have linked documents on our website. So there you go. Actual source. I was not trying to do conspiracy theory shit. Didn't we also put that in the episode description? Yeah, it's it's in the episode description, too. There was just I didn't cite what they were from directly in the episode. And that was considered a foul on my part. I don't know. I, you know. I, don't, I don't know who called you out for that or like how journalizable this is, because now we're, we're running pretty late. But. Like, some of my thoughts aren't 100% in order, but, like, I feel like it's okay to say I read this somewhere, I can't remember the name of the book, and then drop the book, you know, as a, uh, as a, in the show notes. Like, I don't think it's, it's fair to say you didn't come with sources if you don't click the, the show notes or the, you know, go to the website for the, you know, whatever it is you're listening to to see if it's on there. If, like, you're just saying shit and you don't back it up, then that's really annoying. Uh, but if you if you can't back it up in real time on the air as it comes up impromptu, uh, that I don't think should prohibit you from saying it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is the reason we have show notes, right? In order to put these uh, linking documents in, and we don't have to stop a voice conversation right in the middle to do searches. Friendly reminder: we have show notes for every yes. episode. Um, in in the show notes, you can find a link to our Discord where this piece of feedback came in, um, and. Uh, usually follow up stuff on things that we discussed in the episode. So like, you know, we, we mentioned the Harper, the Harper's letter um, and like, we didn't read it on here, but we also didn't like give you a URL to find it, but you can click a URL in the show notes and read it there. Exactly. So you can always find that at the basingconspiracy.com or in the show notes. Perfect. And yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what like Apple's podcast app does these days, but my, my, podcast app of choice on iphone is uh overcast is that what it's called i don't know what you right. <laughs> well i know but it just that doesn't sound thinking right. out loud hmm. yes well in any, yeah so I'm, i can't cite that because i can't remember so i think it's overcast that sounds right um, there will that, be a link to your podcatcher in the show notes 
now I have to find it. Um, the uh, like you just swipe right from like the little play window, and it takes you to the show notes and an embedded thing inside the player. And from there, you can open it. It doesn't even take you to an external browser. You can open it while not leaving your apps. So nice. Yeah, it's it's the future, guys. Tech is tight. <laughs> all right, uh, th- that's all I had. So thank you. Oh yeah, of course. And for anyone listening and is confused where Alexander went, uh, this was brought up like immediately after we ended the episode, and he was like, "All right, well, uh, well, wait, after we wrapped up with him," and then Enosh was like, "Oh, I had a piece of feedback," so we just jumped back on for that. So. Actually, this is the second week in a row we've done that, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, or second episode in a row. Yeah. Let's see how long we keep the trend running of, of post-show content. <laughs> All right, everyone. All right, we'll, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye.